Oh man, Chad, I think you turned the music off. I, I did. I can do that. As well, no, no, no. It just. Uh, I, I think when you make a note, it's it's really dumb. Like it's designed really poorly. Like if you if anyone says anything, it just shuts off automatically. <laughs> it's like oh, I thought I was just. I thought I was still muted and such. I don't know. Listen, I'm just a messenger. I don't know how it works. I didn't design it either. Well, whatever it is, it sucks. Yeah, it does. When's Elon going to fix this app? Chad, Cow, GM, GM. Chad, Chad. What's up, brother? Nothing much. I've been quite ill the last couple of days, so my voice and nose is all fucked. So I'll try to keep muted as much as I can. Okay. Sound a bit congested. I'm a little sniffly too, but I think it's just like allergies. I don't know. Yeah, guys. Um, what we got going on here this week? We released the Q1 ecosystem report yesterday. Uh, definitely check that out. That's like the that's probably the. I, I think we're gonna start doing like a quarterly article like that. I think that's just like the the best cadence to put out new uh, new updates and things like that. And uh, Eric was um, Eric Voorhees was putting around that um, some of the stats uh, all around Twitter yesterday, like see like a, a ton of people going and, and commenting and seeing like our high level stats. And it's pretty cool to see just how much growth there's been, especially just in the, in the first quarter. It, it, it's kind of hard to, to think about like how much growth this protocol has had, but uh, looking at some of the high level stats, like it, it's pretty clear, um, you know, what, what direction things are growing in. So you guys want to roll through some of these top level stats uh, real quick, and we can just review some of the uh, some of the highest level. Yeah, one of the funny things from from Eric's tweet that I saw from the uh, general channel in the Discord <clears throat> was this dude was just saying like, "Hey, I can trade ETH to Bitcoin with this other exchange, this other Dex," and, and they were like, "Hey, man, Thorchain powers that one." <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah. no, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. And we're just like, yeah, dude, it is. It's like, well, my trade actually happened through a sex. So I'm like, okay, well, then what the hell is the point of this entire thread then? Because <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. That's a, uh... we, all, we all know you can trade through sexes. That's not really anything, you know, interesting or new. That's a sign of what's to come. Just everyone trading with Thorchain without even realizing it. Yeah, I this saw that. It, it was, um, Someone was talking about Rocketx Exchange and like been in, in talks to them for a while. They're actually integrating uh, Rango's API into their their platform, and um, I, I don't know too much like I don't know like too much like granular details about about like Rocketx itself, but uh, yeah, it, it was just it, that that is really interesting when people are like, oh yeah, like <laughs> I I did it on on this other exchange, but yeah, it's just powered by Thorchain. So like, yeah, obviously Rango uses uses Thorchain on on their backend. So Rocketx, uh, I I don't believe they're they're actually live with Thorchain yet. So they, they might be 
like, I don't know if they have a different solution. Like, I'm not really too familiar with it, but I know that they are in the process of, of integrating ThorChain. We're, we're helping them out uh, along that. So I like, hopefully that should be done in the next like month or so along with some other, um, some other integrations like, uh, like Unizen, like some of the ones that are, are public that people are kind of talking about because they're really near the finish line. So yeah, Rocketx is just another one of those exchanges that's going to be powering native Bitcoin swaps through ThorChain. And they don't even know. <laughs> and they don't need to know. It's great. This is the way. This is the way. If someone requesting to come up on stage, uh, let's see what's up. Uh, Darius. What's up, man? Did you have a, a question or something? All right, well, I'll give you a minute to collect your thoughts. I'll keep it rolling here with some of the high-level stats. Uh, Hello? Yeah, dude. Hey, oh, there you go. Darius, what's up? Hi, guys. Uh, quite impressed in the project. Uh, quick question on the earned product. Uh, in the case of a system uh, malfunction of a, or a critical fault, what will happen to the uh, Bitcoin in that uh, earned product? Would it be released? Would it, would it be accessible, accessible or locked in? That's a very general question. I I would need more specifics about the scenario that you're talking about to be able to answer it. Uh, meaning, if I if I put the Bitcoin into this uh, end product, uh, is there any any scenario where it could become locked in forever, or what would be the ways to get back to get back access to it? You're asking a question. If I'm, I'm just make sure I want to understand your question. You're asking that in the scenario where you add, you know, Bitcoin into savers or something like this, is there any scenario in which you couldn't get it back? Correct. Is that your question? Yes. Uh, I would say yes. That that's probably true with every system on the planet. I don't know. There's no planet. There's no system that exists that doesn't have that. Do you know what I mean? Like. There could be hypothetically some sort of exploit. You could lose your private keys. There's there's probably, you know, a dozen things I can think of off the top of my head. That's probably true with every financial instrument on the planet. I think a simple way of putting it is, is yes, you're still relying on ThorChain to be working properly and to, you know, everything needs to be going along as it is for for you to be able to, to rely on that, right? Like, yes, there are catastrophic rare highly unlikely scenarios where like yeah if thorchain ceases to exist then that definitely affects savers so your bitcoin isn't just like completely sitting there it's it's controlled by by the protocol and using liquidity and and such understood okay cool thanks cool man uh yeah, if anyone just has like random questions you can always just request to, to come up so yeah thanks for uh coming up and, and speaking for a minute let me get you off the stage. All right. Yeah, let's run through some of the top-level um, stats real quick because I think a lot of these are pretty interesting to call out. Uh, like, first being the total volume of of the network from – this is so this is in the entire first quarter, so, uh, you know, January 1st to March 31st. And $1.2 billion of total total volume, and the high, highest daily volume being around $37 million, so uh, – Pretty incredible with with volume, honestly. Um, total liquidity, so dual side liquidity, uh, from ninety three million to one hundred and twenty two million, about a thirty percent increase in um, like top level liquidity, dual side liquidity, and uh, 
savers position savers vaults went from about 9 million to about 26 million or 183 percent increase in just steady savers deposits from january 1st to um to today obviously these are in u.s dollar terms you, you could you could measure all these in in like nominal terms like you could measure them in rune or bitcoin or whatever but standardized the u.s dollars to make things uh uh, it's a little bit more more simple to comprehend, especially when you talk about different assets and things like that. So that's why it kind of defaults to to dollar terms. But um, there's there's some great dashboards that are uh, that are linked in in the article. It's pinned to the top here, and it was just tweeted out. It's the Thorchain Q1 ecosystem report. Uh, so that's just what we're running through real quick. Uh, liquidity fees collected. So this is like the total amount of liquidity fees for uh, all the swaps. It's about. Uh, one one point nine million dollars is just just shy of uh, of two million uh, collected for I believe that's that's collected total which goes to both nodes and liquidity providers so uh, and so the the entire breakdown of LP earnings is about thirty it's, it's close to thirty percent uh, from earned just from these organic trading fees and then about 70% from, from block rewards. And obviously we've seen, we've seen uh, some really high volume days where uh, liquidity fees have completely flipped block rewards. And that, that's obviously the direction that we're trying to go up and to the right with liquidity fees in, in terms of like flipping the, the regular block rewards that are coming out of the reserve and also providing revenue towards LPs. Uh, top swap routes. Um, some interesting stuff here, and I, some of this I feel like is kind of a function of the top integrations. So, uh, I, I, yeah, let me let me just go through them first, then we can kind of put, put some of these into context. So, first being uh, the the Bitcoin and Rune swap route. Uh, so that's about 194 million uh, U.S. dollar volume going through there. Ethereum and Rune about 188 million. And then BUSD 134 million, and then fourth you, you see a, a non-rune pair uh, for the first time, and it's Bitcoin to Ethereum. So that's obviously one of the most popular swap routes, especially on something like like Trust Wallet, which I think definitely contributes a lot towards that. And then also we have BUSD and, and Bitcoin, which is the deepest stablecoin pool, and and Bitcoin doing about 50 million in USD volume over the over the first quarter. So th- those are the top five swap routes. And again, like I, I think. Some of that is biased toward definitely arbitrage because uh, a lot of these are, are rune pairs. So, um, like when, when arbs are, are going there, they're normally going like Bitcoin to uh, to to rune in, in synths, obviously, rather than uh, like doing a straight Bitcoin to Ethereum swap. But you can really see the impact of of something like a like a trust wallet uh, in there with, with a pretty very high volume from like a Bitcoin to Ethereum swap route, which I thought was pretty interesting. And uh, moving down the line, uh, the top five interfaces. So um, it, it's pretty clear, like that there's like five interfaces which just drive the most volume and liquidity fees, and just total number of swaps to, to Thorchain. And uh, they go as follows. So first, uh, Trust Wallet did about forty million in in swaps, and that's also with Trust Wallet iOS only being released in mid uh, mid February or so. So about 40 million in, in total volume going through trust wallet swaps, about 33,000 swaps and and th- those and attributed to those swaps is about uh, 500 and about 500,000 in uh, liquidity fees. So fees given towards uh, node operators, liquidity providers just generating yield. So 
yeah, about, about half a million in total fees just from just from like one trust wallet integration, just to get people a really good idea of just the, the scale of how big these integrations are and just how much they move the needle. And then second, we see uh, ThorSwap doing greater in the U.S., the total U.S. dollar volume. Uh, so 54, about 54 million in, in total volume going through ThorSwap in about 13,000 trades. So trust wallet, you see about 33,000 trades and ThorSwap only 13,000 trades and still a greater U.S. volume. So uh, there's a much higher average swap size on ThorSwap and about uh, 280,000 U.S. dollars contributed uh, liquidity fees through that. Uh Third, we see Shapeshift with about $6 million in volume with about 1,400 swaps and about 70,000 in fees. Uh, fourth, Thor Wallet with about 5.5 million in total swap volume with about 3,500 swaps and about 50,000 in fees. Then lastly, uh, XDFi Wallet with about uh, with a little less than 3 million in total swap volume with uh about 800 total swaps and about 35,000 in liquidity fees. And also on top of that, so obviously those liquidity fees, those are collected by uh, liquidity providers and, uh, and node operators, just the, the stakeholders in the network. But the, uh, the affiliates, as in the, the front ends who can add on, who can optionally add on an affiliate fee to any transaction, they collected um, just shy of $200,000, about 188000 uh, over the first quarter, just from affiliate fees. Obviously, Trust Wallet doesn't doesn't charge any affiliate fees. That's that's pretty much all attributed to ThorSwap, Shapeshift, ThorWallet, XDFi, and just you know in in whatever proportion uh, that is. But we really we see really nice really nice revenue being driven towards uh, towards the front ends, which really deliver the the product of of ThorChain. And uh, obviously, that's that's really nice for the bottom line in in terms of like. Who's actually uh, in, in in terms of incentivizing the the interfaces that are that are really delivering the product? So, like o- overall, like I'm I'm super happy looking at these stats. And a shout out to uh, uh, to Polaris from Nine Realms for for putting these together. There's a there's a link to the dashboard in the article. So if you want to check out the queries or uh, you know do some of your own analysis, definitely check that out and do so. But yeah, wait, what's your guys' uh, reactions to some of those high-level stats? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> they sound great. I I think it'd be really cool. I don't know if you have any of this data offhand or could pull it up, but like to compare quarter over quarter to, to prior quarters, like I'm really curious how that volume compares to like, you know, bull market times. And obviously like it's been growth through the bear, which is like amazing to see. But yeah, I mean, overall, like, also good to just cool to see like the 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 changing ranks of of uh partner projects right like with trust coming in and um you know that still has so much meat on the bone too to to increase so yeah i mean great stuff all around yeah with the with this dashboard actually you can just change the dates arbitrarily so uh if if you go into the dashboard in the article it's just linked on the top of the stats there uh, you can actually change the date parameters. So th- by default, it's set from January 1st to March 31st. And we'll keep using, the, uh, we'll, we'll just keep editing this dashboard for like for future quarters reports. Uh, I, I think that, that seems like the best way to go forward. So I, I believe you should be able to just turn it back and look at how how that looks over a- any 
arbitrary time frame, but you can also use it to look at, you know, uh, like quarter four uh, of last year or something. But it, it's uh, it, it's very clear that, uh, you know, it, th- things are very up and to the right with this, uh, especially with Trust Wallet being like a very, a very big mover in this ecosystem. Uh, just producing the most liquidity fees, which is the end goal of pretty much all these integrations is driving liquidity fees towards nodes and liquidity providers. Cause that's really how that, that, that's the way we're going to succeed as a network is driving revenue towards everybody who's participating in the network, obviously. So that, that is like, you know, far and away the number one goal of at least like myself and the, and the nine realms team. I'm, I'm sure like everybody else too is very, very focused on that goal of driving, uh, driving liquidity fees. So I'm really glad to see that this is like, taking shape a little bit and it's only one first quarter of this integration bear market like you know things are looking pretty great on on this side yeah i mean from a bear market perspective like going from bull to bear like obviously we're going to see a decline in trade trade volume and ltv i'm sorry tvl all that kind of stuff it's like the rest of the industry is just because there's there's less interest or demand for that kind of those kind of services is because we're in a bear market bear market but at the same time is like because we're having uh higher uh integrations and more trades are happening on a on an organic level relative to um what we saw before right in some sense um like we're performing very well as a dex like like from a fundamentals perspective the other way of looking at it is from a fundamentals perspective we are we are performing extremely well relative to our like our counterparts like if you were to look at the top 10 DEXs uh, in the industry, trade volume, you know, last quarter versus this quarter, get an estimated average of the decline of how much trade volume has been reduced. That gives you a, a sense of like what the macro, you know, of effect is. And then you can see how you outperform that that kind of macro on the micro and see how you perform, you know, relative to everybody else in the, in the DEX space. If you wanted to get more technical and, and do all the comparative work. But I, I, I think if you were to do all the work, which I have not, because I don't really care to, but... I think if you were to do all that work, you'd probably find that we're doing extremely well relative to everybody else. And Savers allows us, we added, you know, another $30 million, which is, you know, something, was it, was it 30% or whatever the, the, the quantity is and increase in, on our TVL trade volume and more than doubled with the, um, the uh, uh, um, integrations we've been doing lately, like all these things that are happening right now and more integrations obviously in the way as well. So we're doing very well for sure. Um, relative to other people, but not relative to the bull market. Yep. Yeah, I think that's all you can hope for. And then just, uh, again, just like foundations being laid. And then when when the market's here, like the, the infrastructure is so much stronger and it's going to be wild. Uh, Coco, did you have a question or there's something to add on this? Um, yeah, I've got two questions, actually. Um, first thing is... Um, Will I be able, as a rune holder, to um, to take a loan with a new uh, lending and borrowing feature? And the second one is, um, I've noticed that um, mainstream uh, people, you know, uh, high-profile influencers, nobody even knows that uh, swapping Bitcoin is 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 actually an option through ThorChain. So, why won't we uh, do some marketing or something just to spread the word out? You know, I'm not talking about paid shilling for rune to moon, but just spreading the word, you know. Is this an option? 
Yeah, so the uh, first question was about uh, can you use a rune as collateral for a loan? And the answer to that question is no. And the reason why that is, I know that's very counterintuitive to, to a lot of people, but the reason why that is is because <clears throat> the goal here, in some sense, is to is to pull in external capital into the network, right? So if me, uh, Cow, and Thoreau were all kind of like hanging out with each other, we all had dollars in our hands, we just started passing dollars around bet between us all, it's not really, you know, doing much. We're just, you know, we're basically just uh, circle jerking each other in some way, shape, or form. Um, what we want is new exogenous capital, new outside of the system to come in, right, to, to cause our little circle to become more valuable. You don't actually get a more valuable circle just by everybody just passing around amongst themselves. You need external capital coming. So if you were to do a room, you know, loan, you would have to swap that room um, into a, you know, derived asset room, which we don't even have that pool for that, but just say we did. Uh, and you'd, you'd, you'd burn whatever rune that is and uh, out of exist out of the circling supply, which that would be positive in terms of the, uh, the effects on the, on the theoretical price. But the amount of, of value that takes to the price is actually relatively small, right? Right now, the cap um, for lending is about, I think, 5 million rune, or, or I guess, I guess technically speaking, it will eventually get ex um, extended to 7.5 million. And if you were to remove 7.5 million rune from the circling supply, which right now I think is like 300 or 320 or 320 million or whatever the hell the number is, um, that is very, you know, much not significant in terms of its effect on the price because you're only reducing the supply by, you know, a few, a couple percentage points. It's not really going to cause room to go to the moon in a manner of speaking. Um, what does cause room to go to the moon is not so much just burning, burning the room, but market buying room out of the market, right? So whenever somebody trades uh, an exogenous asset like Bitcoin, for example, they have to acquire the rune out of the pool. So you buy up, let's just call it $10,000 worth of rune out of the pools, which now an arbitrage bot has to replace the rune that's in, that was removed from those pools and put it back into the pools. And now where are they going to get it from? The only reasonable place to get it right now, for the most part, at least the most liquid place to get it, uh, is the uh, Binance Exchange, which you know has the vast majority of external trading of rune outside of Thorchain itself is on, is on Binance. In which case, that order book is only about, you know, last time I looked, I don't know what it is today, but last time I looked, it was about $200,000 in a 2% price change in either direction, right? So if you remove 2% of the circling supply, you can you can theoretically improve the price by 2%, you know, which is what 5% or 7% would more or less is. That's not 2% exactly, but whatever. But if you were to market by five, uh, five or 7 million rune, um, out of the out of the, out of the uh, the order books, you're not going to push the price two percent. You're going to push the price far higher than that because only two, only two hundred thousand dollars versus ten million dollars, you know, only two hundred thousand dollars will push the price two uh, percent. Whereas if you buy ten million dollars, obviously far more than two hundred thousand. So the reason why we do it the way we do it is because we want to attract exogenous capital. We want the, the, the cap that we have, that's five or seven million cap to be focused on bringing Bitcoin into the market, bringing into our, into our ecosystem, into our pools. We want Bitcoin to come in. We want Ethereum to come in. We want these assets to come in because it, pro it provides a much greater value for not just the network, but also root holders. Oh, great. Thank you. And uh, what about my second question about uh, marketing? I mean, 
it hurts my eyes. I see every now and then some uh, high-profile uh, crypto Twitter person uh, doesn't know about where can he exchange a native uh, Bitcoin to other native assets. And I'm like, it's insane. I mean, ThorChain has been around for like two years functioning, you know. So uh, what can we do about it? Well, how I think about it is this. So we've never gone into marketing as a, as a project. We never had a marketing budget. We'd never hired a marketing person. Uh, we actually experimented very early in, in 2019 about like, you know, do, jumping on, a, on um, I think like a couple of the founders did an Ivan on Tech podcast, but that was like the one time we uh, did, did something like that. And like, um, you know, we just decided it wasn't really quite for us in a lot of ways. Um, the way forward, I think, for ThorChain is not to become a household name in a sense, and not to get everybody to be aware of ThorChain in order to choose to swap on ThorSwap specifically. ThorSwap can run their own marketing if they want for their own product. The idea, I think, that we're that I would like to see us shoot for is to get integrations, and so people like that guy we we're talking about earlier today uh, on, on the on the. Um, the space today who you know swapped via you know rocket x and you know he didn't actually swap by torching this particular case but he might as well could have and would have had no idea that he had swapped on it i think that's really the way of getting it is, tr is just trying to convince the wallets and the dexes and various partners to integrate and then people start trading on their favorite uh, you know decks like whether it be a rocket x or whatever the hell it might be and they're like, hey, we're going to trade Bitcoin on RocketX. I love RocketX. And in reality, RocketX is not capable of actually trading Bitcoin or Ethereum. So it outsources its need for that, that functionality to us. That's probably the most effective way of doing it rather than trying to convince everybody to be aware of ThorChain and start trading it more directly. Um, yeah, okay, got it. And uh, what about the savers' vaults? I mean, uh, how can we scale them? Um, what can be done about that? Like... Um, Seventeen million dollars in the Bitcoin pools is is kind of huge, but um, I think that if people knew about it, it could be uh, like I don't know, ten uh, x. Yeah, if you think about where Savers Vaults are right now, uh, we don't have a single integration with Savers Vaults. It's only really Thorchain native. Uh, like you know, you you could do it on on ThorSwap or XDeFi. There's maybe a couple of very small integrations like Edge Wallet that have a ThorChain Sabres integration, but we don't have one, we, we don't have a trust wallet for Sabres yet. And obviously that, that's something that we're working on is getting uh, getting bigger integrations, especially for, for obviously for swaps and, and for Sabres. So it, it kind of goes both ways in, we, we need to like be where the users are and have it have this as a service that's offered by, by front ends, basically, you know, vetted with their seal of approval saying like, hey, this is a, a service we can, where you can earn on your assets. So that, that's definitely something that we're thinking on working on. And also just to, to like elaborate on the, the marketing question a little bit, uh, it's something that we're, we're definitely thinking about and thinking about experimenting with. So, uh, you know, when, when more things come out of that, we'll definitely have uh, something to share, but not, nothing to, to share specifically on that front right now. Okay, guys, thank you. Uh, appreciate it. By the Wait. way, on Sabres, um, you look at the uh, throwchain.net slash storefy slash Sabres in your browser. Uh, in the last 24 hours, we've, we've had an increase of 3.3.5 3 uh, BDC into the, the BDC Sabres, for example. So like, it, it is climbing. It's a, it's a nice slow burn in a sense, very consistent, very slow, but uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, 
growing. Um, there's only so much space we actually have on the actual, uh, in the pools themselves. Like we don't have infinite space. This is why we're economically secure. Cause we don't just allow people to arbitrarily add as much capital as they want. <clears throat> um, I think as, as, as what, what Kyle was saying, as we kind of get more integration partners with like trust wallet or edge wallet that integrate into this particular feature of savers, that'll naturally, you know, create a uh, new demand for it, of course. Um, but honestly, I think even if we didn't do that, I think we would probably, you know, it would probably perform quite well on its own without, without, with even without that, to be honest, I think we already have, like the fact that the Bitcoin uh, savers is right now is like 80 something percent full is, is pretty without any kind of, you know, uh, integrations or whatever is pretty, pretty impressive. Although I think, uh, Shapeshift actually did, did an integration for this, I'm not sure if they actually launched it yet or not, but I know they are working on it. Yeah, yeah, they definitely launched it. But I'm talking about like outside the DoorChain ecosystem, uh, especially ones that have like large, large user bases and and, and like many millions of uh, daily and monthly right. users. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, obviously the Shapeshift has a great has a great integration, but like you know, any any opportunity that we can have to like move outside of the ThorChain ecosystem and just be part of just the, the the global space, whether that's like in in wallets or like yield aggregators or or things like that, like that, that's the that's the place where um where, where people are going to, to seek yield. Where it's like right now, the people who are depositing the savers, they're people who are savvy to what is going on at, at ThorChain. They obviously have like trust in, in ThorChain security and just like a whole laundry list of things that like the average, like, you know, quote unquote average person might not like know or, or understand. So uh, yeah, it's just like, it's just a, like, it's a matter, it's a matter of time too, because people in order to, you know, put your, you know, put your hard earned Bitcoin into, you know, something like savers, you definitely need trust in the fact that, you know, ThorChain is a, like robust and anti-fragile system that isn't gonna, you know, get hacked or, or go away, or you might you might lose your Bitcoin, right? Like that. That's obviously uh, something that only only time can really bring about uh, in in trust, right? Or insurance. It's gonna. I think it's gonna take a lot of time. Yes, or or insurance. But I, I don't think that I don't think there's really been much conversation around like insurance lately. I, there, I think there has been some like here and there conversations, but no like real solid, uh, like service provider. And unless you unless you know of one, do you know of a? Yeah, like, I'm working at an insurance, insurance company product. that wants to integrate uh, crypto insurance, but we're not decentralized. It's a uh, very centralized uh, entity, you know. Yeah, I don't. Is it possible to have a truly decentralized insurance company? It seems like there, there would need there would always need to be some kind of like. Uh, arbitrator in, in the middle maybe nexus i don't know um but we we are looking to uh integrate uh the savers pool into our products yeah but that'd be great yeah um insurance is actually kind of an interesting topic it's something people talk about and it, and it makes sense to a certain extent um, but it's actually hard to execute on. And we actually went through like, um, like a couple of years ago when we paused the chain for a couple months to kind of reevaluate some things. We, we investigated the idea of like doing a protocol wide insurance. And uh, we talked to, uh, you know, Nexus and a bunch of other providers and it just wasn't mathematically feasible. It just, it just didn't make any sense. I mean, the individual can do it for like, relatively a smaller you know, amount, but, uh, 
but you know, doing a protocol wide just didn't seem uh, all that practical. Yeah, yeah, I get it. And also, um, we kind of have better fees than uh, crypto and Web3 uh, uh, companies because we're like uh, 20 years of uh, um, experience and uh, we've got hedging uh, um, hedging tools that doesn't exist in Web3. So we can offer like quite cheap uh, insurance uh, should we integrate. Um, our name is, by the way, uh, Klepto Insurance. So if you guys want to look it up, um, do it. Yeah, that's awesome. If you want to get in touch, then we can we, we can talk about this later. If you guys are trying to do an, an integration, then I, I would definitely DM uh, Nine Realms or uh, somebody on the team. Cool. Thank you. And we have uh, Mr. Bleck. Hey, Chris. Oops. Not sure if that was just me, but you were a little choppy there. Oh, I think he dropped. But... Yeah, I didn't. I didn't hear much there either. Hopefully, you can come back up and it'll work. Oh, yeah, he might need to uh, to rejoin. Mike, try again. Mike, check. There we go. You got me? I yeah, I, I think so. You sound you sound fine now. What's up, man? Okay, I'm not sure what's wrong with me. It sounds like you're quite delayed, but oh, shit. Uh yeah, I think we can hear you clear now, but let me I'm getting the vibe that you're a few seconds behind. Yeah, maybe you want to just like uh, leave and then rejoin. Maybe, maybe this time Twitter won't rug you. He's running through uh, seventeen different VPNs right now, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Wait, what's the name of that box? It's the it's like the box that no like radio signals can go through, or <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying. Um, isolation chamber. You call it oh, there's, a, there's a name for it. Yeah. Faraday. Faraday. Oh yeah, yeah, Faraday <laughs> chamber. Yeah, Faraday, Faraday cage. Shout out to Michael Faraday right now. Smart dude. Smart dude. I don't. I don't know too much, <clears throat> uh, other than I guess the Faraday cage is named after him. Man, he was he was huge in the day. This is the 1800s in England. He made a lot of very significant discoveries. Uh, Faraday cage is just is just one of them, and it's not even one of the more significant ones, to be honest. <clears throat> so what else did he do? Oh, um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, I think he was uh, is uh, in the 1800s, in the mid 1800s. If I remember correctly, you uh, did a lot of work around uh, temperature measuring. If I remember, I see that the the Faraday's cage itself was the discovery that you can be inside of a, a cage and the electricity that that gets hit the cage, like you have like a lightning bolt hit the cage, electricity will stay on the outside of it rather than the inside. That's actually what the meaning of it is. Not so much about 
uh, radio waves and you know that kind of stuff. It's actually about electricity and how electricity passes through metal, and that if you're inside the metal, you won't get electrocuted. Even you know the electricity starts from the outside. You can touch the actual side of the inside of the uh, cage, and you will not be electrocuted. That that's really what that what that particular thing was about. He also came up with the Faraday po- uh, paradox and you know, other things. It took him a long time to get into the Royal Society um, in London. He was very much like kind of because he didn't come from royal blood, blah blah blah, or like prestige people kind of shat on, on him a lot but very brilliant dude all right let's uh let's try the mic check again is it uh working now chris yeah it's not working that's uh disappointing yeah, not hearing you if you're speaking. Disappointing in Twitter, I mean, not disappointing in Chris. <laughs> uh, Oleg, what's up, dude? Hey, guys. Anything new? I just had a quick question for Chad. Um, meanwhile, um, I can't recall. I, I feel like I already asked you this question, but uh, it's fuzzy um, in my mind. Um, so... With respect to lending, you said the goal was to get like external capital into the ecosystem. I can't recall, will this um, capital be used by the protocol actively to like in the pools in the sense that say we attract like 10 million more in Ethereum to the Torchain protocol with lending, will that then make the slippage for all the trades touching Ethereum, uh, Ether like cheaper? Yeah, um, your question is, if we attract more exogenous capital into ThorChain via lending, will it make the trades cheaper, like trading in general? Yes, for the assets that we can bring on board in the protocol. Um, how do we answer this in a clear way? Um, the answer to this is yes and no. Um, I, I'll, I'll start with the no part, then I'll move on to the yes part. So... When you do this, you're actually taking the, the inbound Ethereum and then you're swapping it. You're taking out um, uh, Rune and then, you know, that gets swapped into its, the derived assets so forth and so on. All these things happen. And so that by itself is not actually changing the depth of the pool, which would cause the price to be cheaper, like the pool getting deeper itself. So that by itself doesn't actually accomplish that task. In fact, hypothetically, an arbitrage bot would just take in some Rune put it back in the pool, take out the Ethereum they just, they just put in, in a matter of speaking, and, and then carry on. Uh, and so in that sense, the answer would be no. But the reason why I'd say the answer is yes is because the act of an arbitrage bot um, um, going externally to find Rune and put it back into the pools inherently causes buy pressure onto the Rune asset. And by, by creating inherent buy pressure on the Rune asset, you inherently cause you know, an upward motion in terms of its price relative to the amount of Rune that was burnt out of the pool. And so if Rune price increases, well, that means that the pools in general, not just the Ethereum pool for this particular trade that we're talking about, this particular loan we're talking about, but all of the pools, uh, the Rune price would be, you know, a higher value, right? So now even the Bitcoin pool, the, the value, the, the dollar value of the Rune versus the dollar value of the Bitcoin in that particular pool is now off balance. So now an arbitrage bot has to, you know, um, put in more Bitcoin, take out some Rune for those pools. And so those pools inherently get... Uh, a, a bit deeper because of it in some sense. And so um, I think that the natural result over, over 
kind of a more kind of convoluted but uh, way is that yes, I think it wouldn't actually cause the room price to increase, which would cause the the depths to get deeper, which caused the prices to come down in terms of swap fees and such. I think it's a natural thing to occur, happen, but I would not also say that that's a guaranteed thing to happen. I wouldn't say like every time somebody has a swap, the you know fees get cheaper. I don't think it's it's that simple. I don't think I don't know, over oversimplify a very complex thing. But generally speaking, I would say yes. Okay, that makes sense. Thanks. And just very quickly, let's say we have a successful lending launch. Um, would that then maybe we can expect higher LP fees for the gas assets that will be supported by lending temporarily? Higher gas fees for lending? LP fees, sorry. So for the liquidity providers, you said like there's going to be an initial swap for lending and then the arbitrators are going to get the rune elsewhere and then put it back in the pool. So that's going to be just more trading for that pool. So like in the first, say, three to four to six weeks of the lending launch, uh, is it fair to expect maybe slightly higher yield for the liquidity providers in the gas um, asset pools? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to guarantee anything or anything with this, but logically speaking, that's likely to likely um, just because, um, <clears throat> just because um, as a, as a dual side LP, you're you're more exposed to the root price, and so by a market buying and burning you know five or seven and a half million room um out of the pools the room price uh, should naturally increase because of that because you're just you're buying lots of external markets and so because you're over you're kind of like exposed to the room price um as a as a dual side lp you will have more experience so the yield will be naturally higher for those people for savers they'll be less affected by this because they're they're only exposed to bitcoin so room price goes up doesn't really affect them directly all that much, although increased trading would be a natural result of that as well, just because the pools are getting deeper, not just in the ones you're opening loans on, but all of the pools would be affected by it just because of the the price shift of the rune asset. But um, yeah, I think, it would, I think it would affect LPs and get, gain more yield, not only because of more trade volume, because loans are being opened and closed, which causes more trade volume and refreshing of loans, meaning that you, you have an open loan, you close it just to reopen it again. That's another thing that would naturally happen, causing more trade volume just organically, but also because the increased room price would naturally cause the yield to go up for, for dual side LPs, but not so much for, for savers. Makes sense. Thank you so much. Yeah, good question to ask. All right, Chris, let's try this mic check one more time. Still muted. Maybe that's yeah. the problem. <laughs> <laughs> I dropped a listener. Hmm. Try turning it off and on. Yeah, fucking Twitter, man. Fucking Twitter. Did you try changing the logo back and forth? <laughs> <laughs> What the hell was up with that? <laughs> like, honestly. Uh, like, three days? Two days? I saw one theory that it was, like, supposed to go up for April Fool's and then, like, just didn't get pushed in time or something. <laughs> I don't know it's if that's valid. Crazy. But maybe. I thought it was because of some sort of lawsuit or something like this about, like, something. I can't, I didn't really read it because I don't really care that much. But it was some sort of lawsuit that Elon's having and he's just to, to thumb people in the eye. He he changed the logo to a doge icon. 
Does anyone want to hear my uh, Dorchain April Fool's idea? Let's hear Definitely. it. What, AKA what we should have done. Next year. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's always next year. All right, so here, here's the idea. All right, we, we delete the, the developer Discord. There's no more developer Discord. Instead, we, we, have to, we set up uh, Thorchan.org, an anonymous dev image board. And we can communicate all on, on here just using pictures. Thorchan? <laughs> just yes. using mid-journey. You can only communicate it via mid-journey. I think the name alone is like a 10 out of 10 for me. That's where yeah, all the, the magic is. Yeah, the name is. came first. The, the, <laughs> idea, the idea flowed out of that. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty all sick. Right. That'd be kind of hilarious. Yeah, next year, next year. I, I think it's actually pretty easy to just make your own, like, Thorchan fork, basically. Uh, so, yeah, next year, Thorchan.org. I, I'm surprised we don't have a, some sort of tweet on April, on April Fool's, like, you know, we're going centralized, and we're going to remove all the validators, and everything's going to be controlled by uh, by Lena. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> KYC required. KYC required. Must include blood sample. I guess it's probably not a great idea because it'd probably actually affect the market. <laughs> <laughs> maybe the joke should be a little lighter than that. Uh, maybe. This is why Chaz not in charge. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I shouldn't be in charge of much, to be honest with you. <laughs> It'll be funny, though. Yeah, good idea, Chad. Let, let, let's just say, oh yeah, uh, there, there's there's a there's an exploit or something like that. <laughs> just, it's on April Fool's Day. Yeah, good, good idea, Chad. I'm just gonna do it next April Fool's. I'm just gonna like put out like 15 tweets in a single day that are like just all the worst things I could possibly say, just to trigger people, just to piss people off and get like get all like the naysayers like, hey, I told you Thorchain was centralized. Look at this guy tweeting about how whatever. <laughs> just to fucking. Just to be a dick. Yeah, April Fool's is admissible in court, by the way. It's, uh, you know, and that's a, that's a totally valid legal defense. <laughs> is it really? I didn't know that. Fuck no, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that you were serious. <laughs> I never heard of that. Hey, man, April Fool's is over. That was like, you know, a week ago. You, you, April Fool's would be today. <laughs> Mr. Black, it's... how are you? Oh, let's see. You there, Chris? Oh, so yeah. muted, but no words are coming out. I, I hear absolutely nothing. Reach the phone, update the yeah. Twitter app. I have no idea. Chris, sorry, sorry for all the trouble with my friend, but it ain't working very well. That's quite annoying. Anyway, we can move to Discord, maybe? Yeah, okay. I guess we could move to a Discord, but that's kind of impromptu, and I'm not sure if anybody would actually show up. But I mean, the reason why I actually wanted to have Chris on today was because he had a really good tweet the other day, um, which maybe we should like link it in the um, thing here somewhere. But... Um, where he, had, he kind of has this, this idea in, in his head about like 
the North Star of DeFi and I can, kind of a series of questions you can ask to understand the, the centralization risk or the risk in general of a particular DeFi protocol. And and the idea that he has, I think, is a good one. I think the questions that he asks are good questions to ask. And um, and I wish we did this more actively with more projects. And that's one of the things I like about Chris and what he does on, on his on his uh, his show or podcast, whatever you want to call it, is that he, he asks these questions and he likes to kind of give projects a hard time about their implementation and design, which is, I think that's that's very much needed in the industry in general. Um, I, and I, I would actually rather, I, I'd like to get more hard questions personally. Like I've done a lot of interviews and podcasts myself over the years, and I'd like to get more difficult or more hard questions than I, than I typically get, just because I, I'm very proud of the design that we've come up with as a, as, a, as a community and very proud of how we've implemented things. Not everything's going to be perfect, of course, because you know we can never achieve perfection, but um, I think we've made very good decisions over the years, and I'm quite happy and proud with those and happy to defend them, even against the most urgent, uh, you know, extreme individuals. Uh, but I would love to have a conversation with Chris about this stuff because it's very good series of questions, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be happening today, unfortunately. Yeah, hopefully we can figure out another time or place to do it. But but you were on his podcast. That was a white. That was way back, like yep. over maybe like two years ago or something. But that's still probably a great episode to to go back and people could listen to it and kind of like just learn some of the the inner workings of of the original Thorchain design. But yeah, I, I love Chris's thinking and like you know I guess I guess some people think he's too hard on projects and stuff like that. But I think we need more Chris's to to try to poke holes and. Like you said, like when you get asked the hard questions, that's where like the, the the real shit comes out, and you really have to figure out these like edge scenarios and make these systems as resilient as possible. So, um, yeah, I have I, I really respect and, and and love to follow Chris. So hopefully we can make it happen. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, maybe we could just go through some of the points a, a little bit. Uh, just so this isn't just a, a total flop, but. Like I pinned the tweet to the top up here, so we can we can talk about this uh, DeFi North Star metric, basically, uh, which is the different values of a, of a DeFi protocol. Obviously, uh, you know something that like Thorchain is very well in, in, entwined with, and something that that we think about, and all the all the contributors think about in uh, like how to make this protocol like truly decentralized and and immutable and <clears throat> a, a core part of of DeFi and just this new open financial network. So uh, the, the the first the first principle obviously being trustless. So situations where trust in the core team is involved, uh, trying to avoid those, uh, including a variety of things like an uh, admin key, changeable oracles, off chain transactions, funds custody, token governance, oligarchies, uh, balance slashing. Uh, Etc. Yeah, that's actually one of the the biggest problems in the um, in the DeFi, like especially in the Ethereum world, the smart contracting world, is uh, the ability that the, that the devs have to to update the contract because these it's called a proxy contract. Because as everybody knows, when you deploy a smart contract on Ethereum, it's immutable, and so in order to have code that you can change, you create another contract in front of it that just proxies to another contract. So you, Deploy a new contract, and then you update the, the proxy contract. The new configuration that points to the new contract you deploy, <clears throat> and so you can do this in a way that allows um, 
devs to make code changes and such. For the most part, almost everybody uses product contracts. I think Uniswap's one of the very few people that, that don't use it, and I commend them for that, although it also comes at a cost of like, well, if there's some sort of bug or exploit, you're pretty, pretty much fucking screwed because nothing you can do about it. But um, the problem comes in like how it, it allows the, the devs to, to make code changes, right, without any kind of governance necessarily, depending upon how the proxy contract is implemented. And we've seen this structure recently with um, with um, what was it called? Uh, not Mango Markets. It was called um, Oasis Oasis Protocol. They they run like a hundred. I think it was a hundred and fifty million dollars worth of assets from one of their LPs, which was the person that attacked uh, Wormhole Exchange about a year and a half or two years over, over two years ago, I guess now. And uh, they made a software change. They pushed it out that allowed them to rip out one of their liquidity providers funds and run them and that's obviously like that should you know set alarms off in people's minds in that sense so like the ability that that the an admin key has to like force a software update um is you know inherently highly problematic and we see this very very commonly in, in the ethereum DeFi space we see it almost everywhere um there are ways you can do it that's a little better like for example you could like update your proxy contract, um, but the effect doesn't, the effect doesn't actually take place until like two weeks from now. So at least if you, if you are forcing an update of your, of your software upon everybody else, at least that gives people a two week window where they can, you know, withdraw themselves or, or, you know, uh, withdraw their liquidity or whatever they want to do. It's at least better than nothing. Um, and that's one of the things that I, I like about, you know, Thorchain in this case, because it's a layer one, you know, I, myself or anybody else for that matter has no ability to force software updates onto the onto our own community. Everything has to be adopted through governance, and that's every each each individual validator has to make the choice to update to version, you know, two point or whatever the hell it is. Um, and one hundred percent of all the validators have to upgrade to that thing in order to adopt that thing. And so that requires, you know, that is governance in a sense. That's every one of our uh, important validators doing their job. Um, <clears throat> that's, that's a big component. It's something we see almost every DeFi project, or very, very few of them don't pass that, even that simple litmus test. Um, in his comments, I, I'm just curious to ask kind of from his perspective, is like somebody was saying, why is ThorChain not on your list? He posted like a short list of what he would consider to kind of like pass all these criteria. And he, Chris replied uh, it, that Thorchain requires trust in the node operators. So I'm curious, like, what you think he was getting at there and how you would, like, how would you kind of break that down? Um, I mean, I, I can see where he's coming from, I think, at least. Um, whenever you have a layer one, and it doesn't really matter if it's a proof of work or proof of stake, you have to have trust in the people that run that, the miners or the validators, like they're the ones that are actually doing it in the end, right? And those individuals, whom, whomever they are, always have the ability to, to change the software, right, underneath you. Like you don't, as a person who holds room, you don't have the ability to, 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 to freeze the chain from upgrading to a new version or, or, or changing the behavior uh, in any, any stretch or form. Um, and that's true within the and within Bitcoin as well. If you hold Bitcoin, you have no control over like what gets adopted, what doesn't get adopted. What gives you power is how much mining power, how much hash rate you have. And 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 he'd be correct to say, and I'm sure he's on on here. He would say he'd be correct to say 
that Bitcoin is, is more decentralized than than uh, than Torchain is. And I think that's reasonably uh, a fair statement considering the number of miners that exist. The total capacity of, uh, of hash rate in the Bitcoin network is probably much more secure than, than Torchain by a good mile. And I would totally agree with him. That's a fair, that's a fair statement to be made. Um, in the end, you do have to trust that, that the validators aren't going to make a change that is against your best interest as a holder of the asset. Now, your 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 viewpoints are aligned because obviously validators are holding the, the root asset and you're holding the root asset, and so your 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 incentives are pointing in the same direction. Neither one of you want to see room go to zero, and both of you want to see room go to the metaphorical moon. Uh, and so that is that is the concern, but that concern honestly exists even for proof of, proof of work networks. Because, for example, even your most ardent Bitcoin maxi will tell you to not use time lock contracts, right? A time lock contract is something you can do on Bitcoin, where you can say, you know, I'm going to put some Bitcoin into this wallet and I'm going to lock the wallet so it can't move the Bitcoin at all, no matter what, for t- ten years and. In the earlier days of Bitcoin, people were using this as a me- methodology to, to like give Bitcoin to their kids or grandkids or something like this and gift it to them in a way that they couldn't move the funds for 10 or 20, 30, arbitrarily, however long you want to set to uh, 10 or 20 years. <clears throat> and so they can you know, sell the Bitcoin too early and they get it when they're 25 rather than when they're five or something like this. Uh, and the reason why even Bitcoin matches will see to, to not utilize, utilize that feature is because if if Bitcoin chooses to make a fee, uh, a change that you do not like, or if Bitcoin says we're going to change how time lock works and uh, uh, time lock contracts work, I mean, we're going to say that you know, we add some new restraint on it or something like this. Well, no matter what it is, you can't move because because your Bitcoin is being locked in a particular wallet. And so, like even like you're you're setting yourself, you're locking your capital away, and you can't actually control it. Therefore, you're you're just busy at the behest of the miners to make whatever changes they want to the network without you being able to do anything about it. And that's a bad idea in general, right? To be locked something up for like extended periods of time like that. If you watch it like for like a week or two, that's, that's you know, obviously fine. But if you do something for like 10 years, that's obviously much different. So I think he's right when he's saying about like, you have to trust the validators of this and that's true and that's fair. But you also have to trust the, the miners of Bitcoin to, to not make choices against your, your interests as well. Ethereum is a little more uh, complicated because uh, you're not you're running your own kind of system and your own kind of rules that you're kind of managing yourself because you're running your own smart contract. But um, it is an interesting conversation. One I wanted to get into, into the details with, with with Chris about. Yeah. So, like, obviously, we had that whole. Remember that conversation with uh, Tobrol back in I want to say November or December, where we yep we we kind of argued about trust for probably about like an hour, <laughs> just the just the definition of it and how you can say something is is trustless or, or not. And like, I guess it all kind of comes down to just. Well, I don't, I don't I don't even want to get into it honestly, but well, uh, the yeah. the important thing from that whole conversation was that like in the end there's nothing that is actually trustless. The idea that something that anything is actually trustless meaning right. that there's zero, absolute zero trust is nonsensical. And I don't care if we're talking about Bitcoin or Ethereum or Thorchain or whatever like nothing in the world is actually fucking trustless. And so we we use this term it's a little bit like, you know, hyperbolic in some sense or a little bit misused, but um uh, an exaggerated term at best, but uh but nothing in the world is actually trustless. So when he says that you have to trust the validators, he's right. And to say that we also, we also have to trust the miners of Bitcoin, that's also right. 
you could also make a very you know practical argument that we have to trust the values of Thorchain more than just the value the miners of Bitcoin. And that's true in some sense because the number of people required to make a change for for Thorchain versus uh, Bitcoin is a very bit, very different number. So the amount of trust for Bitcoin is, is far less than it is for Thor, for a proof of stake network like Thorchain or any proof of stake network for that matter. That's just a natural thing to happen when you have a proof of stake network. But like at the same time, like we can't actually even use we can't actually use proof of work. Like if you wanted to rebuild Thorchain, get rid of the proof of stake, replace it with proof of work. It's impractical for us to do that because we need instant finality in order to be able to do trades or swaps. If we can just like undo the last five blocks of Thorchain, right, from because of a reward or something like this, well, then now you're insolvent. Now you've just lost a bunch of money. Now people got trades they shouldn't have. Now people withdraw when they shouldn't be able to withdraw or something of this nature. And like it would become, it would become a, you know, a pretty significant disaster if you ask me. Or if you wanted to, you could say, you know what, we're just going to wait five blocks before we actually do anything. Okay, now you don't have to do rewards as much. But now you've made trading and swapping so fucking slow because you have to wait for many a blocks uh, of a hash rate that's probably going to be pretty small in the beginning because hash rates are always small in the beginning. Like it would just be completely impractical uh, technologically to, 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 to implement something like a Thorchain where you have to like make changes on other changes, uh, uh, make changes on other chains. Completely impractical to do that with proof of work. So you have to do with something with instant finality, which is what proof of stake is. And so like with, <coughs> with that, <coughs> excuse me, with that comes a different set of uh, requirements. Yeah, for sure. And looking at the other like points of this DeFi North Star, uh, like open source, transparent, permissionless, censorship resistant, user sovereignty, uh, th those are all things that are, I, I think, pretty obvious and seeing how they fit into into you know how Thorchain operates. And the the one that is like the biggest question in people's minds is like the the, the trustlessness, like like are can, can you trust Thorchain validators? And obviously, like every effort has been made to make sure that Thorchain validators have the the right incentives to uh, actually operate the network. Obviously, being that they that it's uh, a necessity of Thorchain that they're always over they're always over collateralizing what it, what they are securing in the vaults to maintain that economic security, which is. Uh, at the end of the day, the base layer of Thorchain. And actually, this kind of ties into that CZ tweet from, from the other day, uh, where he was talking about, uh, it, was, it was a tweet about uh, Uniswap v3. And uh, here, let me, let me see if I can pull this up. But talking about Uniswap v3 and just ba basically saying, like, you know, with, with these DeFi protocols, it's all about ensuring finality, ensuring that validators... Uh, will process transactions and, you know, they won't, they won't steal from the network. And Thorchain's design is the only one that always ensures that there is economic security and not a trusted relationship between the, uh, the validators that secure the, the vaults of the native assets. So the, the ones that are actually, you know, have the, have the TSS keys to the Bitcoin and, you know, to need 16 out of 20 uh, validators in order to sign out any funds from the network. Uh, so Thor Thorchain is the only one that guarantees that economic security that the validators are always bonding more than they are they're securing. And to, to my knowledge, it's, it's the only only cross chain network that has a guarantee about economic security of the funds. Yeah, and that's an important question to ask. We, we talk about trustlessness. What are the incentives that play right to to get 
people to act in the in accordance in the best interest of the network itself, right? And so, if you take a Bitcoin for example, if you had an ability, if you actually had enough hash rate that you could fifty one percent attack Bitcoin, just imagine you had it in your back pocket or whatever, would you actually do it, or would you just mine Bitcoin and make a bunch of money from the mining of it, or would you try to double spend? in some sort of transaction and, and like, you know, reveal that you have to do 1% and all this kind of stuff and, and make, probably make Bitcoin go to, you know, drop 90% in value in a matter of a, a couple of days. Or would you just sit there and fucking mine it and, and stuff? And so, like, the incentive is – part of the, the trustlessness is, like, is, like, when can somebody act in accordance with the network and when can they act against in accordance against the network? And where does the incentives actually lie? Does it push them towards the incentives of the network or does it push them towards the of stealing or against the network? In the case of like another cross-chain DEX that, you know, that's, that um, secures exogenous capital, all of them are incentivized to go against the network, right? Because it's more profitable to go against the network than it is to go with the network. In Bitcoin's case, it's more profitable to be with the network, even if you had 51% attack, it's more profitable to go with the network. And in Thorchain's case, it's more profitable to go with the network than it is to go against it, right? If you actually had uh, enough of the of the validators of Thorchain to, to be able to, to to rug some funds or whatever, it always goes along with the network. So it's not so much like we're trusting people in the way thing that we trust people to altruistically, you know, um, behave in a certain kind of way. We could do it some some services like um, you know the Liquid Network, for example, the Trusted Federation or Rootstock and these kind of things. Um, <clears throat> it's actually just it's it's ensuring that people behave in the correct way because they're financially incentivized to do so, not because we asked them to. Yep, for sure. Uh, let me just go through this conversation real quick because I, I think it's pretty interesting back and forth, and one that really only Thorchain has solved this problem of of economic security uh, and just maintaining that validators need to follow the rules because they have. Uh, you know, sort of Damocles hanging over their head. So, all right, the exchange goes like this. CZ says, we need more DEXs. Pancake has most of the users. Uni has most of the TBL. And that's still too centralized. I know. Imagine that coming from me. We need more options. And someone uh, someone says, what about making Binance a hybrid exchange, self-custodial like DEXs, with the performance and liquidity of a centralized, service, centralized venues like Binance? Uh, aside, hmm, I wonder what service could offer something like that uh some some non-custodial version of finance very interesting concept anyway uh he goes on to say easier said than done have to ensure fund security too make sure that the counterparty of the trade gets paid and no one can scam the system i.e real turn real time settlements blockchain throughput is just not there yet so wh what do you think about that whole uh that whole statement and like where where thorchain fits into that Yeah, I mean, he, he's right in some of the things he's saying. Like, for example, like blockchain throughput is not there yet. Like, he's thinking from the mindset of an ex a centralized exchange where you have like you know, high frequency traders, you know, doing many trades per second or something like this, and which which Binance is like maybe is their bread and butter in some sense. Uh, and he's right in the sense you really can't do high high frequency throughput trading on on a blockchain. You can kind of do it on on Thorchain somewhat if you if you if you stay within synthetics. <clears throat> Um, you can so you can do some, some pretty good throughput, but still not nearly to the degree to the quantity that you you can do on a centralized exchange. He's he's right in that sense, <clears throat> in that in that way. I would I would agree with him. But he's also right to say that that's really hard to ensure security as well. That's that's why nobody else has you know accomplished it with the exception of us.
Yeah, well said, Chad. Sweet. Um, well, anything else you guys want to talk about today? And anything else that's like uh, on top of mind? Um, not immediately, but people are welcome to hit the request button and come up if they have questions about anything. I see a. I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, so I'm gonna butcher it. But Cfi, Cfi, Steffi, Steffi. Yeah, he's in the crowd. Yeah. I don't know if I he know. wants to pop in, but it's good to see him in here. Yeah, and Cam's in too. I'm always a big fan of Cam. Smart dude. One of the uh, Delphi guys. Yeah, we got a good crowd. Yes. Uh, let's get Juggernaut uh, up here first. You got a, a question? What's up, man? Hey. Go, guys. Um, do you hear me? Yep. yep. Yeah. Okay. Just a, a short question that uh, tortured me by, because uh, as everyone seen, uh, there's a lot of question about if, uh, what if a state attack Bitcoin with a with a 51 uh, attack uh, um, do you believe this possible? I, I, I got the market cap there it's 500,000 million of dollars which state will try to, to attack this? Well, we know that miners now are all farms and uh, farms can aggregate okay but do you think that's possible with this market cap it's for everyone like the question uh is it possible that a state could 51 percent attack bitcoin i think that's basically your question um i know it's a hard thing to say <laughs> i think the biggest problem to be honest is like Take a country like the United States, who has obviously gobs of money, in a sense, and will print it to however they want it to. But um, uh, part of the problem is actually not just the monetary requirements of, of actually buying enough hardware to be able to do this. It's also being able to acquire the hardware itself. Like it, it takes it took ten plus years of of, of mining building uh, companies that they produced over the last. 13 plus years of, you know, ant miners and whatnot, different types of miners over the years. Like <clears throat> you, you're basically going to pin all of that hardware across whatever new hardware that the United States purchases. It sets up in some rig somewhere in Texas, probably. Um, and that would be very hard to do, right? Like it's, it's not impractical, um, cause it, but it, it would be extremely hard just to be able to acquire enough, like, uh, raw materials to be able to produce enough hardware to be able to, to have enough hash rate to outperform, you know, all of the current hash rate today combined of every piece of mining hardware that has ever been produced, bought, and is being used today. And of course, the old hardware that, you know, used like three years ago, nobody uses at all because it's like, it's just so weak. So you have to constantly be buying, you know, new hardware to, to stay competitive, in which case, you know, I mean, it's possible, but it'd be very, very difficult. It'd be more effective to like try to try to convince miners today who are already, you know, mining Bitcoin and try to pay them off because they already have the hardware readily available and it's already set up and being used and that kind of stuff. 
It, it would be extremely difficult. I don't, I don't think it would be all that practical. And it would, it would cost an absorbent amount of time and energy to do so. I don't think, I just don't see it happening, to be honest. Okay. Thank you for your answer. It's um, reassuring. Thank you very much. Cool. Thanks, man. Yo, Sefi, what's up, dude? Oh, not too much. Uh, hopefully you guys are having a good day. Just on lunch break a bit. Came in a little late, so not sure what all the controversies today are, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know that there's an obvious incentive to uh, attack the Bitcoin network. It's still relatively small in terms of market cap and, uh, you know, the market cap is maybe, it's, it's not even at some of the biggest companies in the world yet, but like what would be the purpose of doing so? Because if the thing fails, ultimately, for some reason, whatever, quantum computing, you name it, um, then it fails. Like, But whose money would be involved with like taking on this attack? And like, you're going to bury all that money and throw it away for what exactly? So like, let's say you bought all these miners and somehow took over the network. Now what? What are you going to do with it? Shut it down to protect people, of course. And that's what Elizabeth Elizabeth Warren would probably tell you, right? She wants to, you know, launch an attack against Bitcoin to, to sink it to zero. So that, yeah, but like uh, when you when you listen to her speak, like there's very little evidence she understands money at all. I think she's an idiot. So I, I, I really don't think she has any clue what she's talking about about anything. What, what, like, whether it's, whether she's an idiot or not, or has a clue what she's understanding, on is kind of doesn't really matter in the context of yeah, is it feasible or or possible, or is there, would there be interest? People can be moronic, but still have an interest in doing something, right? Yeah, to me, it's like, it's much more obvious for um, the government to spin up a sort of like centralized system with a lot greater ease than it is to mess with the existing, like the mess with the Bitcoin network, because they already have the dollar effect, right? So like, all you'd need to do is like, uh, put together, let's say, a thousand different computers floating around uh, the United States, all centralized, meaning like owned by the government or whatever. Um, it's going to be fairly resistant to DDoS attacks and whatever else. Um, and like you could pretty much achieve a fairly strong network um, if you want to go to like the CBDC route or whatever it is you want to do. Um, now, that's that's barring all the obvious like bad reasons to build CBDCs, but that's the other problem with a lot of these folks that are building these systems or like their wish list is I think they just really don't have a good imagination for how tyrannical this all can get. Um, when you hear most of the folks speak about this sort of thing, um, I think it's like they, they're not using their imagination of how it just backfires quite badly upon themselves um, to where like the political class, even if you thought you were in control of something, like the system with a CBDC based setup, like is uh, is an optimizer and essentially like moves to controlling you. <laughs> like it's like it, it there's it 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 just always like every sort of like permutation of how you think of this always ends in some catastrophic disaster for human beings in a sense. So and and you know like Bitcoin itself is not perfect in some ways. Like there are problems. So like for it to take over all the world's money or something like that, it's got some obvious issues with privacy um it's got and those issues with privacy make it concerning for things like um you know corporations and their treasuries and such it's not like uh th there hasn't been a simple solution for that um some like some level of centralization ultimately 
is necessary for um some like KYCable privacy in a sense. And like it's it's uh there's almost no getting around it, I think, mathematically. Like nobody's been able to figure out a way to do it so far. I don't know. Maybe Chad, you've had some idea. Like like with Thorchain, you know, you've got um you know, the option to exchange between things that provide privacy versus things like Bitcoin that is more just um you know provides that scarcity function but not necessarily privacy like but what do you guys think about like you know what what does the ecosystem of coins look like to make the world work on crypto have you, have you guys thought about that a bit yeah I mean, it's an interesting conversation i remember i was talking to uh zuko who was the guy behind he's one of the og bitcoiners and he's the guy behind uh Dcash. and one of the reasons why he decided to <clears throat> like so fascinating uh side story but relating um that um satoshi himself actually talked about uh zero dollars proofs before he left about i think it was about three months before he kind of like went, went ghosted and he talked about actually implementing within bitcoin itself and he actually uh, agreed that it should be done at some point but the problem at the time was that there wasn't that the development of the zk knowledge proofs was quite primitive and wasn't really practical to implement bitcoin at that point, point in time Fast forward, I think it was about a year and a half later, or the hell the number was, and um, there's a breakthrough. And uh, some professors at MIT can have a breakthrough on, on ZK knowledge. And um, they went to the, these professors actually went to the uh, the Bitcoin conference, I think it was in St. Louis at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And they were like, hey, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's do what Satoshi talked about, you know, a year ago or how it was, and let's, let's put zero, zero knowledge proofs into, into Bitcoin. And the, the devs at the time, because the, the conference was small. Like there's only like 30 or 40 people at this early on in, in Bitcoin's history at that Bitcoin conference. But the devs basically said like, no, nah, we're not going to do this. Like maybe some, you know, altcoins can do it or something like this. Like somebody else can experiment with it. We're not going to put it into the core protocol of Bitcoin. And, and so then the, the professors actually went to uh, Zuko because Zuko has been around in digital, um, you know, uh, assets since like the 1990s. Like he's been around for fucking ever, like way before Bitcoin even existed. And they asked him if he'd be willing to do it. And, and Zuko said, no, I don't want to do that. Like he actually literally turned down the, what would eventually become the idea of Zcash. And it, he turned it down the idea, but then he, he did a 180 once he realized to himself that like people are going to want to have their privacy and be able to like, you know, buy things or get paid from their company or like whatever it is that's being happening to do that privately. If you have to do that in a public legend, and that speaking, then like just, it will not be a non-functional uh, unit of exchange, right? It just won't, won't function correctly. That's why he created Zcash. And this is kind of pulling on what you're saying about like Bitcoin's not particularly great at, at privacy. You know, it technically has it. Taproot with store signatures with, you know, mixing wallets, like that gives you some level of privacy. Uh, you can argue all day about what the level is between the level one and level 10 and compare it against other systems like Monero or Tornado Cash. But, but the point is that, that like that, different systems it will have different values and, and attributes that they put forward and bitcoin will probably never become just because i don't see a push for it within the community today in the bitcoin community to become a, a privacy first kind of uh mentality i think they will always just be like anonymity first and if that's the case then they will never have you know strong privacy probably but me I, I could be wrong I'm, I'm not an expert in the future but uh uh, it's a inevitable thing that that different uh, assets and different chains, different ecosystems, would just have a different set of attributes that 
that are that are very, are very useful in this situation, but not so useful in that situation. And a natural thing to occur is being is being able to move between these different assets and utilizing the power and functionality of any given asset for the times and the wind in the situations and scenarios where it makes sense to use that thing. Bitcoin is going to be very very useful in some scenarios, and not going to be very useful in other scenarios. So sometimes we're going to need privacy, which is not Bitcoin. Sometimes we want, we want a very strong store of value, which is what Bitcoin is, so forth and so on. Yeah, it's like I've not seen so far a solution that would work for, say, I don't know, my corporation, for example. You know, there's not like, and, and until that solution exists, it's hard to assume that like a lot of corporations are going to care about adopting any one standard for this purpose. So I think it's a, it's a mixture of like one, you know, obviously a significant amount of adoption has to happen in order to make it worthwhile to even bother because your customers have to have this thing. And if they have it, they might buy your products. But on the other hand, you have the flip side problem of like um, corporations particularly need things like privacy and um, nobody wants to give away all the secrets to, you know, how much revenue they're making or whatever it is. Um, you know, so like it, the transparency is kind of a double-edged sword in a sense. And uh, uh, the whole point of like having a corporation to some extent is like having a, a group that um, has secrets to, 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 to a large extent and that you can use that alpha or that, that innovation to then like, you know, one up your customer, your other uh, competitors and um, like really, really open money makes it hard to do. Um, so it's, it's, it's a problem. Yeah. Not only, not only just corporate, but like, <clears throat> imagine a hypothetical scenario where I'm buying, you know, um, an air fryer on Amazon and I can pay in, in Bitcoin, for example. And, you know, I pay Bitcoin, they ship the air fryer to my house at 157, you know, Oslo lane. I don't know where the hell it is. And now they have it in their database on Amazon of what my address is what my name is and how much Bitcoin I have in my wallet, which let's just imagine for a second discussion is a thousand BDC. Now all that data is there on Amazon servers and what are they going to do with that? Well, that, they could actually sell that. That could be valuable information but for some people. Um, it could be exploited like some one of the employees of Amazon or somebody breaks into Amazon, a hacker of some kind, extracts the, the Bitcoin addresses and, and the physical addresses of where people live. Okay, this guy's got a thousand BDC, this guy's got 500 BDC, and this guy's got this over here, I'm going to go ahead and break into their houses and, you know, be, be an asshole. And it, it's just like using um, open ledgers for, for just general commerce doesn't make logical sense to me personally. Using it for store of value, that makes sense. I can get behind that. Yeah, the attack vectors are interesting. Um, yeah, it, it, like this is, this is sort of why most of us have delegated to store of value status and are not really that interested in like opening our wallet to go buy a, a Big Mac at McDonald's or whatever. Just like there's no practical reason to do that at this point. Yeah, maybe maybe that'll change in the future. There's the other yeah, there's, there's the other thing of remittances too. Um, you know, there's a reason why Visa, Mastercard, and whatever do what they do. Um, sometimes you know you don't get your air fryer, um, or maybe you get your air fryer and it's broken, and you want your Bitcoin back. Um, you know, there's all sorts of problems with, without having a middleman, you wind up with, um, problems that, uh, a smart contract may not fully be able to solve. 
um, such as like you being happy with your air fryer, <laughs> you know? So like, uh, and then there's uh, other components to that too. It's like the, if you, um, yeah, like just refunds and, and, and all, all of the kind of elements that go into that. Um, it's kind of like yeah, why you, you would need. Leg- yeah. It's kind of why you have an entire layer for that purpose. Right. Yeah, you would need some legislation that would require businesses to operate with the ability to do refunds and so so forth and so on, which I'm not even sure that's even already true today or not. But if I buy an air fryer and I receive it, I buy with some Bitcoin, I receive it, if the whole thing's you know, broken to begin with, and I return it, I should get my Bitcoin back. And there should be some sort of law that ensures that. What do you think about the idea that like digital money is more than anything useful for digital goods and services as opposed to necessarily real world ones. Um, Like there hasn't been a very, very strong push in the so-called like so-called web three space to ultimately turn all of like the digital assets uh, into something you'd pay with pay for with just digital assets. And the digital world, maybe when it gets bigger, maybe we'll be singing a different tune, like let's say a hundred years from now and you know, more of the things we care about are actually digital products, not physical ones. Maybe there's, there's a room for like uh, the crypto economy to be the native economy at that point, but maybe within the country of digital space, you know, as opposed to like trying to convert that to physical goods and services. I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. This is actually kind of something that I, it's one of my probably more extreme viewpoints is is that um, is that like the the quote unquote metaverse? And I personally fucking hate this term, to be honest with you. But this the the digital universe that we that we live in will eventually become its own like its own country, no matter speaking, or maybe thousands of countries, depending on how it's structured. But like <clears throat> we'll have like you know citizenship in the United States of America, but also quote unquote citizenship. And I mean that in a literal sense of like issued document and that kind of shit. But just like the idea that, that you are a part of um, another sovereign uh, state of some kind that exists purely digitally, that's a kind of the more of extreme idea that may happen, you know, maybe not next year, but maybe in 20 years, 15, 20 years, that might, that might happen. Yeah, we have like pretty strange times coming. Um, <laughs> like just, just, just all the AI tools and revolutions happening there. Um, I see a lot of those services being potentially paid for digitally. Um, just because it makes sense. Like if you think about like cognition as a capability, that's very, very like digital in this sense. Um, you have, let's say you're paying for your little, you know, AI behavioral therapist, right? Like it makes sense to stay within the digital realm for that. Maybe you pay for it with that. And then let's say there's AIs out there that want to hire you for doing shit, like in the real world, they're going to pay you with digital money. Um, you know, that, that, that becomes really, really interesting. I, I have this theory that like the AI agents may actually reach a point where they're actually larger consumers on this planet than actual humans. That could be really weird. Um, you know, like they're competitors to us as, as actual consumers and that it would make sense that they would want to, they would use digital money. Cause why, why wouldn't, why would they need physical anything except to buy, like make, you know, <laughs> to make Chad go and build, you know, another server, um, you know, like it pays you in Bitcoin or something. 
they definitely would consume more data than we do, right? They can would consume vast quantities more than we would. What about with like potentially private stable coins? Do you guys feel like that would solve the the real world stuff as far as like your personal privacy and revealing revealing your your balances and such like that? Like if you in the future, and this was kind of like where Terra was going for a while, right? It's like if you could, you know, borrow against your Bitcoin and have that converted to a private stable coin that you could then like pay for all your real world day to day stuff with. Like, what would be the reservation for that? I if think, you could just I think stay fully, crypto. biggest problem is going to be their paranoia about who actually is the arbiter of truth and who ultimately um, do they KYC with. You know, I mean, like at the end of the day, it's like I know people like to blast government for everything, but you have a democracy or representative government or um, uh, for a reason. It's so that you at least have some semblance of human beings being able to sort of control their own destiny. Nobody's arguing that any government's perfect or doesn't have centralization or tyranny issues or whatever. That's, you know, those kind of things are obvious. Um, but you like, let's say for example, like, you know, a, we all become more trusting of, um, AI agents as an example. And we're like, Hey, you know what? Like governments can't be trusted. People can't be trusted. Let's trust this thing over here. It's going to control my CBDC. And it's going to decide like, it's going to contain the information, like my privacy information, whatever. And that way, if like the, the, the police, you know, the FBI or whoever wants to sort of figure out where my money went or what I used it for, then it would ask, they would ask the AI, show them the credentials and whatever. You could do all that. But then what ends up happening is, is like you wind up with um, a, a backlash of people that are going to say, wait a minute, like this thing's not human. We need to go back to humans controlling this. And who's the default situation that can do that is ultimately the government because you know corporations are going to be like quasi ai services too at some point so it's like it's a weird thing that like you ultimately end up with a governance problem and no matter how you go about this you wind up back at square one to some extent like the founders of the you know constitutional founders all like you know worried about these exact same things and this is hundreds of years ago um and you all you always wind up with the same exact circular circular logic um, it's almost like it's cyclical. You just, you can decentralize things to some extent, but then like you, people tend to want that, um, you know, some sort of human representation at some level. And then once you do that, you, you have to trust somebody. Right. So that it's an interesting pro process, but like, to me, it's like, if, if I'm going to own a CBDC type of object, um, or like, a I don't know, a stable coin generally, in general, it's got to be like fully decentralized or to me, it's got to be fully government. There's not a lot of in-between to me. Like, like wh why would you add one more layer of or vector risk in between, right? Like or owning circle, um, USDC, how, do, how does that help me exactly? You see the problem? Like either, like either all your, like to me, it's like either I have a, um, a crypto that's fully sufficiently decentralized enough or I have a US dollar. Um, or maybe I have gold or some other store of value, but like there's not a lot of in-betweens where I want a CBDC. I mean, I'm sorry, a, uh, a privately owned stable coin, which somehow reduces the risks, you know, like it's reducing what risk you're adding corporate risk and all sorts of other stuff in between. Um, I yeah. I don't think it's good for holding, yeah. but it could be good as like a temporary medium of exchange, right? Like if you, if you're fully crypto native and you're like, just, like that example of taking a loan against your Bitcoin or something, using that for commerce 
And then like the business accepts that and oh, quickly yeah. converts it to whatever, to whatever they're comfortable. Holding. I'm with you completely. It's kind of, I, I, I want to use yeah. it. I, I totally want to be able to use a staple coin. I get it. Um, I think it's, the deeper question is like, how big are you going to allow that to get before you yourself are going to be worried? Hey, wait a minute. Like the circle court, let's say the circle corporation a hundred years from now, like let's just say, for example, is, you know, dealing with like 30% of the people's money or something. I'm just make up some number. Um, how big is too big to fail or too big, like too big where it's like, wait, what kind of nefarious um, things could this company possibly do to our lives? You know, like you see the problems. So it's like, there's no, and then you could have like millions of stable coins, right? Like you have lots of different ones, but then that's a different set of problems without a certain scale. You don't get safety either. So it's like a, yeah. <laughs> like, and then the, the one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin folks essentially say, well, if it became all the world's money, right, you wouldn't be having this discussion because everything be denominated in that. That's the end of it. And that's a possible future, I suppose. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But in between, it's like people like their stables, right? And, like, and we like DeFi to have stables in it because like, it's really tough otherwise. But it always goes back to this trust problem. I mean, look what happened with uh, like Circles DPEG. Like shit, like, you know, that wrecked a lot of DeFi holders somewhere, right? Like there's gotta be people in protocols that lost money as a result of that DPEG. Yeah. I think some DeFi protocols even um, hard coded USDC to be $1 uh, in, in the actual code base, which was terrible, terrible, terrible idea. I actually like to drop some kind of crazy uh, conspiracy theory alpha at, at people here. But I think inevitably the the best stable coin out there is going to be Bitcoin, just because stability of an asset, generally speaking, is is very much correlated to the to the market cap of that asset. And the, the larger the market cap, the more stable the asset just naturally tends to be. It takes a lot more economic pressure to, to change the price either up or down. <clears throat> and so, like I think, like once Bitcoin's market cap is, and I think eventually it'll get there to be like you know a hundred trillion something like this, which would, which would be bigger than, than the U.S. dollar at that point. Or just to get, the higher it gets, it becomes inherently more and more stable. And then, then at that point, like at some point, Bitcoin will likely become more stable as an asset than the dollar is, I think. If, if you agree with me that, that the market cap of Bitcoin will, will continue to increase and one day surpass the market cap of the U.S. dollar. And if anybody out there who believes that the U.S. dollar is going to zero, which there are some people who believe that, then you probably agree with me on this. I'm sure you do. But like, I think that's probably the, the inevitable result. We think about stable coins now because Bitcoin is relatively speaking very volatile. But I don't think that's going to be true in like 15 years or 20 years. And then Bitcoin will become the, actual, the stable coin itself rather than something else trying to be, be stable. Chad, when you go to like uh, Bitcoin meetings or whatever, um, it, how much talk has been there, has been out there as far as like changing the hashing algorithm at some point? Like the, the actual compression, the, the actual compression, um, I'm sorry, like the, the actual cryptographic mechanism. Um, the reason I say that's because like, if we need, we're waiting for like BTC to become like, a, you know, a certain size uh, and assuming we have like a trajectory that doesn't flatten out and really continues to grow. Let's assume we're talking about like 15, 20 years timeframe. Um, the doubling time, of like qubits on quantum computers. I think, you know, Ivy Mosprey sitting around 400 plus the doubling times increasing and the error correction technology is increasing quite quickly. So in that yeah. doubling time, you could get to the 10 million plus qubits maybe. And then that's not including even like various AI 
elements in creating some of the circuitry and everything. Like it's interesting how aggressively optimizing those systems are. So let's assume like we had a compute quantum computing platforms that, um, you know, can actually uh, affect Bitcoin in let's say 15 years to make up a number. Um, have there been some like moves to sort of like preempt any of this with various quantum resistant uh, algorithms? Cause that has, that has a big role in the hardware too, obviously, cause the hardware of the network would have to be optimized, not just the software. So, yeah. Um, I mean, that's been talked on and off within the Bitcoin community for, for quite a few many years. I remember listening to a few conversations throughout many years. Um, Right now, my general feeling sense that I get from people when I talk to people, I mean, this is just my own subjective um, understanding and objective reality, but is that for most people, like, they don't really consider quantum computers to be a, a much of a risk to Bitcoin. Theoretically, mathematically, it is in the long term, but nobody sees that risk quite yet. Now, the idea is like, how are we going to change things in 15, 20 years when quantum computers become uh, cheaper to manufacture and get packed? You know, you, you mentioned Eric. Um, error uh, codes and that kind of shit that happens uh, and they also like being able to not have to cool uh, quantum computers to be like near zero fucking temperature a Calvin near zero Calvin to, to function and operate like there's a bunch of technological things that need to be kind of broken through and arguably some of these things aren't even possible to be broken but we never know until we actually try. sorry my earbud just died um it is possible to do so, and and I can even go into the mathematics of like how the hashing actually functions and works, and how the difficult difficulty is calculated. Like all these things, we can get into the nitty gritty if you really want to. Um, but it just comes down to like in the end, it comes down to search space, right? Because in the, and like in a sense, like what Bitcoin mining is actually doing, it's it's doing like a, a mathematical game of of hide and go seek, right? We've we've hidden some sort of nonce or some number that represents the answer to this problem. And people have to start digging randomly and finding places. And so quantum computers just allows you to dig a lot more fast and a lot more different places simultaneously. Um, Silicon-based computers, they operate in a, in a linear way typically. Uh, although that's not entirely true. But um, quantum computers allow you to just do things uh, simultaneously. And so it allows you to search a much larger area in a much shorter period of time to be able to, to find things much more efficiently. And so what you can, theoretically what you can do is just by making the area larger. And how we calculate that area right now is based on the hash, right? The, the difficulty of, of Bitcoin is not as, as represented as a hash, which is about 64 characters of a, of a hexadecimal uh, representation. And so the, the max size of difficulty is relative to that actual number, right? What, with how large the, hex, the hash number can you actually get, which is actually quite large, mind you, but still not large enough that quantum computers can't, you know, fuck around with. So we'd have to change the search area. And I'm, again, I'm not an expert on quantum computing or, or, you know, Bitcoin hashing necessarily either, but you'd have to change the hash to be, instead of being a 64 character hash, to be something uh, larger. It doesn't have to be necessarily significantly larger because with every character you add, you're exponentially increasing the search area. It's not like a, a linear relationship. It's an exponential relationship. So if you were to increase from 64 characters to 128 characters, theoretically, you wouldn't be doubling the amount of space that you could be searching. You'd be like, you know, multiplying it by, I don't even know what number it would be. It'd be like 85,000 duo dectillion quadrillion fucking something crazy. Right. Just cra crazy. Uh, There's some math math number that are, that are people, <laughs> right. human brains couldn't function with. 
But even introducing just one additional character would, would create, you know, an, an exponential uh, effect to the search space, even a single character. So that's one way of doing it. People argue that that, that methodology... perspective. And the reason why they might say this is because uh, if you get to a situation where quantum computers are now mining Bitcoin and along with silicon computers, then you get in a situation where every silicon computer is so effectively slow, right, in terms of its ability to, to process, it becomes very, very, a very quote unquote slow miner, right? I, I think the miner. worry about quantum though is not to the, the um, ability to mine Bitcoin, but to reverse engineer uh, an address and so essentially like be able to yeah. devolve a, you know uh, the private key essentially but yes but that's another thing you're absolutely right about that i thought you were referring just about the hashing yeah I, mean, I, I would think if you were going to develop a quantum based sort of like um, cryptography you could just basically start a whole new network uh at that point that's a different yeah. thing but i was just talking about like just the the safety of your private key based on you know where the uh like the, the the level of brute force attack that a, that a quantum system might be able to do in 15 years. And 15 years goes by quite quickly, I, I might add. Like, I remember when, uh, you know, like if you were there when like some of the earliest, like, I don't know, monitors were created and look at the 8K thing you can buy at like your Sam's Club now for like 3,000 bucks. It's obnoxious how, how much, um, you know, like where tech goes in such a short time. And if you look at like right now, look at GPT and all the other drama behind it. Um, I think a lot of people did not predict 2023 would be, we would have the level of capability of GPT-4 and things like that. So there's a sort of acceleration happening, um, even with quantum, like uh, so many of the um, um, defense industry and um, you know big players like IBM, Google, et cetera. So many significant, like large companies are doing research there. So there are like job openings out the wazoo, by the way, in case anyone's interested. <laughs> so like the thing is like, there is a kind of takeoff of that happening um, in terms of people learning it and people developing on it. And so I, I think sometimes the, um, the speed with which things, things can arise may not, may be faster than you think. And the, the corrections to you know btc or any other system may not be as quick as we want and like people you know bring up the y2k thing remember chad remember y2k like <laughs> like oh like you know the systems are going to crash and all hell's going to break loose and blah 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 right um but a lot was done over like a period of um five to seven years to correct for y2k related problems um and therefore like when the event actually happened it became a non-event um, so there are, there are some examples of where like, you know, you preempted a catastrophe, but I'm just wondering if how far the Bitcoin community has gotten in thinking about it as it's, yeah, it's, it's not a good idea to bury your head in the sand is what I'm saying. Y2K was a, was a kind of a funny one because in that instance, the reason why people were so f fearful is because the, the year was always represented in a lot of code to be two numbers, you know, like 98, 99, and then like 2000 were represent the year 1900, not the year 2000 which would cause banks and how they measure interest rates and blah, 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 to go all haywire because it's now 1900, not the year 2000. In hindsight, we were a little over, you know, over extremely concerned about that. It was not like a, even that hard of a problem just to like change that from a 42-digit year to a 40 There were some year. fun t-shirts though, right? 
there was definitely like a lot of people panicking for sure. And people were like literally waited for like midnight and then make sure the lights were still on. Like we were literally afraid up to the second that the lights would turn off. Um, but even with the idea of like breaking somebody's key, right, with an, a quadrant computer, it's actually the same thing as what I was saying about the hashing because the a private key is actually for Bitcoin is actually also 64 bits length. Right, we different ways of representing that private key, that 64 bits. We could do it through, you know, a, uh, a bit. I think it's called bit 39. If I hopefully get the number right, I think it's bit 39, where you can have those words, you know, like uh, trampoline and fox and you know forest or whatever the hell the words are. I think it's 2,063 words in the bit 39 um, specification, and that's just a way of just describing that 64 bits. And so, if you wanted to break somebody's private key and to, to brute force it with a quantum computer, you'd have to find their 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 public key and figure out how much Bitcoin they had and they have a lot of Bitcoin in there and you want to take it from them. And you just start iterating through every permutation of those 64 characters uh, which is, I think is represented in alphanumeric um, letters and numbers and non uh, case sensitive. And you just iterate through those until you find one that works. Right, one that actually generates a wallet with actual funds in it. Like, but if you were to do this today, uh, any of you, if you had a really fast computer and you were doing a trillion guesses per second, right? If you're doing like a, a one or two trillion guesses per second, you still would not find a wallet with actual money in it before the sun would encompass the earth and just suck yeah. it. Yeah. Because at one point, I, I think the, the will... estimated number of qubits is something like. 10 million qubits and we're at a few hundred qubit computer so it's definitely not anywhere near anything like that now it's just looking at the doubling time of qubits on uh, with major systems the doubling time seems to be quite substantial each year that's that's what my thought is like it's not so much certainly not now there's no there's no way right now for that to make any impact at all Right. It's completely impractical today, but maybe quantum computers will make, one day make that different. And then all you have to do effectively is add a, a 65th character, right? Get rid of your old wallet, get a new wallet with 65 characters instead of 64 characters, right? And now you've just like exponentially increased the difficulty on the quantum computer to guess what your private key is. And so you can easily scale this up, you know, as high as you want to go. It doesn't really matter today whether you have 12 words or 24 words in, in your in your mnemonic phrase there. For all intents and purposes, they are the same security. Mathematically, they are obviously not the same security. They're not even close to each other from a mathematical perspective. But they're both extremely fucking high that you can't discern the difference from any normal practical, practical perspective. Yep. But I, but I do think, like, um, but the, only, the reason I brought all this up is just, like, the, the long-term view. It's like, for countries and large companies and all to adopt, you know, there's these, there are these sort of like uh, lingering concerns people are going to have, right? It's like um, if, if something happened to sort of like the feds computer or whatever, the presumption would be they just manufacture more money, right? Like it's as simple as that. Like, <laughs> and uh, that's the end of it. Like, but, but with, when you have a trustless uh, decentralized system, the, that trustlessness needs to be absolute and uh, and you don't have to worry about this sort of thing. And I think, you know, at some scale, countries probably would worry about this sort of thing. Um, at, at not, no, countries generally, um, if they're going to be moving, let's say, into Bitcoin as their, uh, you know, let's say their primary currency, the so-called Bitcoinization, 
um, these would not be things that aren't talked about. You know what I mean? Like it's, uh, there is a lingering concern that, that, that these, these systems could accelerate a lot quicker than one thinks. And you have all your nation's money in there. Uh, now what, right? It's kind of, it gets interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think your Y2K analogy is a good one just because it was a lot of fear and concern of people freaking out for something that's easily fixable. It's not, it's not even like, to me, I don't, I don't, to my knowledge, and I'm, again, I'm not a quantum computer computing expert or anything like this, but to make things difficult enough for a quantum to be quantum computer resistant is not the most difficult thing in the world to crack. It's actually quite quite simple. So I, I think it's very Y2K and that people can freak out now because theoretically could, the whole world could come down. But like in reality, we'll fix it. We'll move on. Whatever. Uh, hi, sorry to interrupt. I just want to have a quick question for Thorchain. I have like 10 more minutes and I know um, I don't you know, mean to interrupt your conversation. I just want to get in the qu a question in really quick for in regards to Thorchain. Go for it, man. Okay, cool. Uh, it, it's in regards to the lending system. Still trying to wrap my head around the lending system chat. Um, you know, maybe like in a few minutes, could you just uh, maybe break it down? So let's say... I, I have a thousand uh, rune, and uh, um, um, I'm, I'm trying to borrow against it. Where does the, the let's say I, I borrow? I, I mean, can I borrow USDC or USDT against it? Uh, if so, how much? And where does like um, the funds come from? Like, don't you have to like to sell the uh, the rune to USDT, or, or where does it come from? That's really my main question to avoid any like dilemma in the, in the reg, in the regular, um, lending systems. Yeah. So, um, a couple of things, uh, one is the, the network will not allow you to use rune as collateral in a loan. You have to use some sort of exogenous capital, probably at launch time, it'll just be Bitcoin and Ethereum. And those are the only two assets that will be allowed, uh, on day one, we can have discussions and arguments about expanding to other assets later, but that's the first thing. Second thing is most of the time in, in, in DeFi lending, there's there's a market that's created by some sort of protocol. And then there's somebody who provides, who's somebody who is the lender, like some person walks up, becomes a lender and somebody who's the borrower from that lender. And they kind of get matched through some sort of protocol between the two of them, which would be a compound or an Aave or something like this. Thorchain is structured a little bit different than those. Um, not a little bit, actually a lot different from those. And, and so instead of the um, somebody providing you the the, the, the debt that you receive, some person in the market, it's the protocol itself, right? So then the question becomes, well, where does the protocol get that money, right? And effectively, it just, it takes the collateral that you, that you take, that you, that you gave it to produce it. So you might give the network, you know, $10,000 with the BDC, and the network might give you um, $3,000 in debt. And so it takes that $10,000 of the BDC, it, you know, it takes some small part of that 3000 bit of it and then effectively acquires, um, you know, whatever asset that you want to receive on the other side, it could be Ethereum or USDC or something else. It's more complicated than what I'm, I'm kind of explaining this moment than, than just that, than just that. But because you're always per the collateral you're providing is always, you know, orders of magnitude more valuable than the, than the debt that you're receiving, then it, it, it the, there's always value there to be, to be lent back to you as your debt. Does that make sense? want to call out we just brought up uh zuko absolute og of ogs in the bitcoin space obviously founder of uh of zcash i believe and 
Hey, welcome, man. Oh, hi there. To hear from you. <clears throat> Thanks for inviting me. I guess I'm late. <laughs> How's it going, Zuko? You, you and I haven't talked in a while. I haven't talked in a while. No, no. No, I mean, you and I haven't talked in a while. You and I oh, haven't yeah. had a conversation in a while. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were supposed to meet up in Colorado at some point. Fell through. Yeah, unfortunately true. Yeah, I, I was looking forward to it. just couldn't get it to, to get the timing to work out, I guess. I was actually just talking about you on the stage, just, you know, half hour ago where it was, and I was telling people your your kind of your Zcash story of how you, you know, came to, 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 to create Sorry, it and found you, it. Uh, did you hear me or no? I, I hear oh, you now. I, 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 what I was going to ask is um, – what is the essentially the design difference between a ThorChain and Aave, for example? Why why can't Aave and all the other lending uh, DeFi um, uh, lending protocols implement the same system um, without I mean without getting liquidated? Where's the the differentiation? What makes the ThorChain lending system so different than all the other ones? I know you can get liquidated, but what's what's the design difference there? Um, this is kind of a, a bigger conversation. Um, I'll try to see if I can keep it yeah. short and simple. But... Yeah, maybe, maybe we should just get into this another time. There's already a bunch of resources about about Thorfi. So, it, like, in it, it, like we've already been on for almost two hours. We just got to go up here. So let's just give it just a, a little bit more, and then we can we can go about in about lending like next week or, or so. Yeah, and check out the YouTube video. Ch- Chad B did a, a YouTube video that went pretty deep on it. So that might be okay. I'll do that. Is it on uh, Chad's channel or, or Thorchain's channel? Look at the uh, article that's pinned to the top here, and there's a couple resources about uh, about lending, and you, there, there's a bunch of links. There's probably about three to five really good videos on lending, people asking questions, and you can get a deep dive. All right. Sweet. Thank you. No worries. How are you, Zuko? What's going on in the uh, world? Uh, I'm good. Uh, life is good. Uh, for For those who don't know, I should explain that I'm you said I'm the founder of Zcash, and I'm definitely one of the founders of Zcash, but there's a lot of others too. Um, and now I'm the CEO of something called the Electric Coin Company, which is one of the organizations that supports and improves Zcash. But Zcash is quite decentralized, and there's a lot of other organizations that are totally outside of me and of the Electric Coin Company. Just so you all know, that's my context. Yes, thank you. Yeah, you're right. Uh, sorry, I I used I should have said co-founder and I said founder. That's that's my bad. Oh, no problem. Cool. So, so uh, Chad, where are you? Groups, I posted a a link in the Twitter thread where Satoshi was trying to figure out how to use zero knowledge proofs to fix the privacy leak in Bitcoin, and he said something like, "If we could figure out how to do this, it would make a much better and more usable version of Bitcoin." But at the yeah, time, they couldn't. The, the technology wasn't advanced enough. Yeah, we were just discussing this earlier. Uh, me and, uh, and Sifi or Sifi, I can never pronounce the name. <laughs> Sefi. So apologies, but Sefi, sorry, me and Sefi would discuss this earlier about the the practicality purpose uh, problems of like having an open ledger to, to just make simple purchases can can become problematic by nature. Yeah. Yeah. I'm- I'm convinced that the Bitcoin architecture is like 
fundamentally flawed based on information theory because if if it leaks private user information it's difficult or probably impossible to fix that leak sort of on top of it like once once your private data has has been leaked to your enemy then it doesn't matter whatever else you do to try to compensate for that your enemy still got gotcha. you yeah that's correct yeah, I think that's a reasonable um, thought, right? Like, uh, I'm not really a Bitcoin maxi by any stretch, as anybody would probably guess of me. But um, it makes sense to me that you that you had an ability or choice to be able to to maintain your privacy, even if it's not like super secure privacy, like anti-government level privacy, but privacy enough on a, on a personal or corporate level that's still to me very valuable. Yeah. Yeah, everyone needs it for almost everything. Some people just don't realize yet that they need it for what they're doing. Privacy is normal. Yeah, privacy is normal. That's that's a good rallying cry. Especially in our modern era where some some like mega corporations and governments are trying to sort of rewrite history to say like, "Oh, privacy is this weird thing that it would be really uh scary and uh dangerous if we had it." And I'm like, no, wait, <laughs> that's totally not the way the world has ever worked. Um, uh, what, what a, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ken. Yeah, I, I just wanted to add like a, a color on, on the conversation as well. I wanted to share um, like a quote that I really liked on this, um, on private money. Um, this is from Alan's, uh, I, I, I can't pronounce his, his last name, but Alan's In Defense of Private Money. I think it's a, like a mind-blowingly good um, article um, that really elegantly explains like why money laundering is a red herring. Um, he basically says like money laundering is effectively like presenting a sum of money as having like a mundane origin. Um, and if you think about it really, that's pretty much every transaction. Like the reason why $1 equals $1, like dollars basically like fungible or at least we treat it that way is that we don't care about its history, right? Like we just, it's like a bearer asset. If you hold it, it's yours uh, and that's it. And otherwise, if you really think about like um, um, the, the other way, uh, which means like if the history of... Um, um, like the chain of ownership of an asset is important or should be tracked, like you can't really do econ like economic activities on it because every time you receive an asset, now you have to validate yourself that all of the chain of history, like ownership, is effectively like valid. It's not corrupted or anything. Um, so it like leads into this like um, logic that you're you're always proving proven like um, basically guilty un until you prove like yourself in innocent like you have to do all of that work every time you transact so it's just like not doable at all um and that's so it's so absurd that people like don't realize that so i just wanted to like uh yeah mention that yeah reducing friction of transactions is really critical for a prosperous economy and you need privacy, like the, the traceability adds friction to transactions. I would agree with you on that. Can you post a link to that article you mentioned by Alan someone? 
Yeah, it's Alan from. Uh, uh, yeah, I'll do it. He's uh, he works in Neptune Cash at the moment, but uh, uh, his, his like last name is very hard to pronounce. So sorry for that. But I will um, I will retweet retweet that. So if you go to my profile, you'll probably see it now. Okay. Yeah. Or any, pretty much anyone interested. Yeah. Yeah, I found it on the website asz.inc. Asz.inc. And it is on this blog somewhere. Just search in defense of private money and Alan, and it's there. <laughs> I, I swear you'll find it. But uh, thanks for calling that out, uh, Khan. I'm definitely going to check that article out. By, by the way, Zuko, like um, within the Thorchain community, we've discussed many times about the idea of like adding coins like Monero and Zcash and uh, yeah. thing, things of the like. And I'm still very, personally, I'm still very bullish on, on, on getting those done. I would yeah. love to see to see Zcash added. In, I was wondering what happened because I know that Eric Voorhees and a Thorchain Treasury and the Zcash uh, Treasury, which is a separate independent thing that I have nothing to do with, um, collectively f- put in funds to make like to integrate Zcash into Thorchain, and that was more than a year ago. It never happened, and I never quite understood it was technical and or political reasons that has slowed it down. Yeah, from my memory, and I could be uh, out of latest sync on these things, but like there were there are some Bitcoin libraries that we utilize in order to, to to support the UTXO chains. Which some of these libraries are not forked by the Zcash community in in written quite yet and modified. Oh. As, as, I think that was the initial problem. I mean, nothing like it's not insurmountable. Mm-hmm. But then there was also political issues too, where. Um, for some people in the community, they're they're afraid that Thorchain itself is not yet decentralized enough, or to be to be resilient against you know government attacks of some kind. Hmm. So they don't they don't want to poke the bear by adding a Monero, adding a Zcash, hmm. poke the the government bear and say, hey, you should pay attention to Thorchain and you should start you know trying to yeah. regulate it or shut it down or whatever. They were just kind of fearful that of like you know poking that 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 political bear. You know, before we have more nodes that are that are bare yeah. metal, at least, or something like this, it would p- potentially useful data point is that Coinbase and Gemini and Kraken list Zcash in the United States and in other countries. Yeah, very good point. Solid point. Yeah, I, I actually don't think it's uh, well. Maybe that could be arguably different because those those ones are are. Are KYC'd and therefore it's more difficult for some malicious entity to, you know, like um, whether well, was a name, what's the name of that North Korean group, um, Lazarus Group or something Lazarus. like this. Yeah, that's it. Lazarus Group to, to, to transact, whereas in a third chain, you know, doesn't really um, KYC or, you know, block addresses or anything like this. And so um, a Lazarus Group could use it. But I also argue that I don't think that would be happen just because, just because, um, um, tornado cash got censored by not even by the government per se, just by a specific entity, but like um, because they you know siphoned through six billion dollars plus worth of worth of uh, ether throughout throughout the, the the larger pool on on tornado cash. For us, it would be different because I, I doubt that the Monero or the Zcash pools would have enough liquidity, enough depth in them to be able to push through six billion dollars like that. Would just be the pools would have to be incredibly deep in order to support you know, trades of that size <clears throat> through, through its own pool. So it wouldn't be a practical use for, you know, huge volumes of, of Zcash or huge volumes of Monero to be quote unquote yeah. cleansed through. 
there's no evidence that Lazarus Group has used Zcash for anything yet. Although I do use Zcash to buy my coffee for like three dollars and twenty five cents a day. <laughs> well, you're you're part of the problem, Zoku. That's you buy your coffee. Is, is so, can you tell me what what changes in the world of Zcash would accelerate Thorchain integrating with Zcash? Well, I'll tell you this. So, um, one of the Thorchain de- devs has has kind of um, run off into a, a dark corner, and has been working on uh, a Monero uh, integration uh, for the last couple of months or so. Mm-hmm. And one of the ideas that, the, that that is being tossed around that makes people feel more comfortable is creating a new Thorchain, you know, chain, a fork if you want to call it that, called mm-hmm. you know, with the temporary name we're giving it is, is Thorchain Black. And okay. unfortunately, in black, it'd be, it would probably just be, in my opinion, it would just be, you know, a new rune asset, rune black, whatever the hell it is. And then there'd be a Thorchain pool with rune versus rune, rune versus rune black. And then there'd be a Monero rune pool, rune black pool. And then there'd be a Zcash and rune black pool. And so this separate entity, this separate blockchain, a separate, you know, protocol would do mm-hmm. all the privacy related things so that in the event that the government gets all spicy about some shit and gets, you know, gets their ass in a, in a tiffy that we can just you know what we can shut down the black part and then the rest of the, the beast keeps on going on right without without putting the rest of the of the thorchain network at risk that's huh. one of the arguments or one of the discussions that's been going on personally i'd rather just see this thing zcash and monero be integrated thorchain right now that's just my two cents i would love to just forget about the whole black thing and just go direct but there's you know, arguments and debates internally whether using a separate network for this huh. is, is the way to do it. Are those arguments and debates informed by, like, lawyers? Nope, not at all. Oh, yeah, because, <laughs> you know, the things I've publicly heard are pretty, pretty general, you know, like the government hates privacy, which is uh, so, so general of a statement that it's not actually true or false, right? Um, there's a lot of ways in which privacy is required by law in the United States and Europe and so forth, you know? So like it gets really, really nuanced and maybe you guys should talk to a lawyer and get some actual expert advice on it. Yeah. I think the general community is, and, and, and to some extent myself as well, is basing our decisions on, on just kind of like hearsay information to, to, for the most part. And people just right. can't get the, their feeling sense of it. And that can obviously push uh, a governance or a DAO or what you want to call it in a certain direction, just based on, you know, false or fake, fake information and not just having the, the bits. I know, I know Chris is just ha- raising his hand. Hopefully his, his mic is working this time. Because earlier he was having some problems. Sorry about earlier. I'm on Starbucks Wi-Fi now, so it's much better. Um, no, I was just wondering... Um, with regard to Zcash and Thorchain and your concern about a government crackdown, like what would that government crackdown look like? And why wouldn't it have, why wouldn't you have the same problem with every other cryptocurrency? If, if uh, Coinbase, et cetera, are okay with using Zcash unshielded, it seems like it's kind of apples and apples. And, and what are you worried about as far as a crackdown, like crackdown on node operators? Well, I'm personally not really worried about it at all. Personally, uh, but the, I'll speak for the, the community or, or maybe Kyle or Thoreau wants to speak for the community and, and have, give their, their voice a uh, perspective. But I think the generally the concern is that either just make 
uh, running a validator illegal or something like this, um, or um, it would just cause attention and scrutiny and uh, discussions and become a target of some uh, legal attempt or, you know, people are actually told me that I should be concerned. Like I, I'm going to, I'm going to go to jail personally, you know, this kind of thing, which I'm not really terribly concerned about, but like people are just concerned that it's just going to, um, that fortune is not decentralized enough to withstand a government um, shutdown or attack of some kind. I don't know. I'm not concerned I, about it. Yeah. I would argue that you couldn't actually shut down, especially with the, the key share backups that we started doing. Uh, even if, you somehow were able to, you know, call up AWS and, you know, do a coordinated shutdown of every single Thor node, uh, the network would be back up and running within a week, even if you took down every single currently active validator. With the current uh, method of backing up the TSS key shares to the chain, uh, it's actually a very robust system where you'd be, you'd be able to just spin up a new node from anywhere to import your mnemonic and then just keep the network going, just resume right back from where we started. So e even in the event of like a complete, uh, a complete like coordinated crackdown, a, you, so you sh somehow shut down every single Thor node at the exact same time, all the funds are still secure in that TSS vault. And it would just be a matter of uh, the node operators restoring their, uh, their backups and uh, getting the show running again. I would argue- Yeah, so, since- I would yeah. argue that any concern you have about integrating Zcash is actually a concern just in general, you know, because the government could crack down on ThorChain at any moment because ThorChain is, is running an, an exchange, basically. So um, what what steps are being taken, like, th those steps should be taken now to do whatever is necessary to avoid that because that could happen tomorrow without Zcash. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah, that really was exactly the community concern. It was just it was it was more around timing than around philosophy. You know, like I, I would say, like the entire community was philosophically aligned. It was more so, and, and this was like a hotter debate at a certain time. I forget exactly when because it was right after um, the tornado cash sanctions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, you know, it was more that it was just is Thor is Thorchain ready for that and. I mean, a lot of, I don't know the current stats on it, but there's definitely been a bigger push towards bare metal. Um, there's been like the backup that Cal was just talking about. So, um, yeah, you know, I think it's moving in the direction to be more resilient in general, such that it would be much more ready to to take on privacy. Yeah, we, ha we have made advancements in becoming uh, more protected or more decentralized since the tornado cash, um, you know, event way back when. Obviously, there's more to go. I, th I think last time I looked, I think we had like, I want to say 8% or so of our nodes are now, are now bare metal or maybe 10% now or something like this. The bear market has actually pushed more nodes to become bare metal because it's much more cheap and efficient to run a, bear a, nodal a node as a bare metal than running it on AWS. But also, that also means that the, the number of nodes that are running on AWS or DigitalOcean or bare metal, that any of these things could be shut down. You could, you could literally kill all the AWS nodes right now, and it's not enough nodes that it would actually cause the network to even stop functioning. You could actually still, um, you know, churn and still be able to cool. churn. If you didn't. Like, you, even, but hypothetically, if the government was against, you know, and t told AWS to shut us down, they would probably also tell DigitalOcean. We couldn't. We couldn't sustain both of those and, and, and not pause the network, but we would, but those people would be able to run those nodes could just rebuild those nodes on Petsner or bare metal or 
I don't know, Google, I don't know, any, any provider they want and with the same private keys and then carry on like nothing happened. Yeah, I think the whole thing with just integrating new chain, it's just become a, a like a very sticky governance debate in, in terms of like, you know, dev resources and, and stuff like that. So it's definitely not all charged by like, oh, we, we think the government's going to do this or that. It's just like, you know, we have a we have small, relatively small dev team and uh, well, other priorities like like lending and things like that and just haven't really done a lot of chain integrations uh, as of late in the past like year or so. Well, I remember that there is funding allocated from those three sources I, I mentioned for Zcash integration. So maybe that could uh, salt, that could provide the dev, necessary dev resources. There should be no greater priority than, than decentralizing this network, in my opinion, for what it's worth. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, there's a lot of priorities in the Coast Network. So we can talk about decentralization, which is obviously very important. And we, we are continuing to, to push on that. We can talk about adoption and integration. So that's a very important thing. We, we try to get integrated with more wallets and DEXs. We can talk about, um, you know, major new features, whether that be lending or order books or savers or something like this that is providing a, a valuable service that the community and the industry as a whole does not have access to it all today. Like those, all the things are very important things, and decentralization is definitely one of those one of those things on the list. You don't think decentralization is the number one most important thing that you guys could be doing right now? Um, I mean, I don't know how to quantify how how important one thing is over the other. To be honest with you, like to me, it's not it's not a comparative thing of like we either push on decentralization or we push on uh, integrations and, and that kind of thing. It's just more of like we we burn the candle at both ends. So we're constantly pushing for more volume more swaps, more decentralization, more this, more that. And I don't, I don't find them to be antithetical to each other. So I just, we just push them all simultaneously. Hey, uh, allow me to say again, I, I think if you talk to a, a, an expert lawyer who's worked in this field and advised lots of other people in, in, in similar situations, you'd really get a ton of valuable and actionable information in a short time. So they're super expensive. Like, You'd probably spend thousands of dollars, I guess, but uh, that's not super expensive in the grander scheme of things. Um, and it wouldn't take very much of your time. I definitely strongly advise you, like, give it a shot and see what you get out of that. I can uh, recommend a bunch of really expert lawyers who know a lot about this stuff. Yeah, that actually would be great. Um, it actually would be fun, not only to educate and inform myself and other kind of core devs and nine realms people, but also inform and educate the community at large. Maybe we can even do one of these Twitter spaces with, you know, one of the people that you recommend. Like I, that would be really fun and, and interesting and, and informative um, conversation to be had. Mm-hmm. Let me, I'm on, I'll, I'll uh, DM you later on Twitter and, and we'll give me the, uh, the info and we'll, we'll, we'll sync up. I could save you a few cool. thousand dollars right now. Uh, do everything possible, get all the nodes off AWS and DigitalOcean, et cetera. Chad goes uh, anon. Chad, leave the project. Come back anonymous, please. Um, and uh, do stuff like that to remove all of the... Because a lawyer is just going to... I mean, I'd be worried that a lawyer is going to make it worse, depending on which lawyer you get. I mean, at the end of the day, you just have to decentralize the network or else you're done. Or, you or, say- you go, or you get captured. Why do you say that I have to leave and come back in on? What what is how, what what threat do I pose to the network? You, you're the lead developer of the of the network. So, so what threat do I pose? You're a target, man. I mean, you are okay. the chain target. 
but it has nothing to do with ThorChain, right? Like, what would, if I were to get arrested today, what would happen to ThorChain? Anything? I don't know. I don't know how many nodes you run. I don't know what kind of influence you have over over a lot of the parts of it. So I don't know. If, if I run nodes, and it has nothing to do with me being a developer, right? Just being a node operator, in which case it doesn't really matter if I'm a developer or not. It's that, That's a general statement against operators, I suppose. Look, man, <laughs> my point is... I, I honestly don't know the answer to what it would do to the network, but it would suck for you. And it would, it would suck for, for development of the network because you're the lead dev. I tell you this, though. It would definitely suck for me, but if I get arrested on the idea of writing code, that I would be, in some ways be excited about just because it gives me an opportunity to, to establish that code is free speech, to be honest with you. Like, it would be a terrible fight for me to have. But that's a fucking fight that I'd be willing to take because code is free speech. And anybody who wants to tell you, me that I can't write code is a fucking asshole. You'll be you'll be even better prepared for that fight if you talk to a lawyer. <laughs> I agree with you, man. I would actually love to talk to a lawyer. I think it'd be great to have a conversation and, and we can invite this uh, gentleman onto this or woman, I should say, uh, to uh, this space or, or maybe a Discord or, or whatever. I'm actually so let me DM you later, just get some information. And Chris, okay. don't don't get me wrong. I appreciate your, your input and in advice as well, Chris. I'm like, I'm yeah, my you. general point, I didn't want, I don't want my general point to get lost, which was that, in my opinion, um, the top priority for ThorChain should be to remove these points of centralization. Whether or not Chad being public is a point of centralization that should be addressed is up for debate, of course. But as far as nodes go, um, it, 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 it could come at any moment. It could come tomorrow. And so if that comes tomorrow... Then what happens? The rest of the of the work is out the window. That's my point. And so, um, you know, I think identifying those points of centralization, the nodes are the most obvious, but you know, identifying them are key, and addressing them is immediate. This is the one, um, the most, the largest factor for me in in trusting Thorchain as an ongoing uh, project. I think that the lack of priority, the lack of emphasis on this critical existential thing. Uh, is what holds me back from being a full-throated advocate of ThorChain. Yeah, kind of going off of what I was saying earlier about these key share backups, I'd like, let me just reiterate how important this is. So, like, it's... Um, we, we've talked a lot about, like, getting nodes off of cloud services and onto bare metal. And we haven't found... There, there really isn't a way to say, like, definitively, oh, this this... For the network to determine, hey, this uh, this node is running on bare metal, so let's increase their rewards or give them some kind of reward to give, like as a as a carrot to say, like, hey, uh, we need to incentivize bare metal because because you can't at the at the Thor node level, and I might be speaking a little bit over my head here, so Chad, please jump in if I'm saying something that's wrong. Uh, at the Thor node level, you wouldn't be able to say like, hey, this this client is being run on a bare metal server versus one that's at Amazon. There's just no way to uh, have there's no way to trustlessly say that you are like running on this type of hardware, or this 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 other type of hardware. So by having something like this key share backup system, um, nodes can continue to run wherever they run current currently today. And even if a hundred percent of Thor, even if it became universal law that you know Thorchain nodes were illegal and you weren't allowed to run them, uh. And all of them were shut down at the very same exact instant. The the network would be able to come online again 
extremely quickly just on other providers on bare metal where, wherever anyone could spin up their thor node again because the people who are running thor nodes obviously stake a lot of, of rune in order to do so and have a lot at stake so they're very incentivized to re-spin up their nodes if they were to get shut down obviously otherwise they're just losing uh their entire stake in the network but um it makes it so that way the, the network is actually capture resistant. So that way, if everything were to disappear tomorrow, the network would come back online just because everything is already backed up. Uh, and there's nothing really, there's nothing that's, that would be permanently lost just from, from nodes going offline for a couple hours or, or days or even weeks. That's cool. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the, the problems that we have, and, and I think this is something that Chris was, was pressing on a moment ago is that like, how do we get people who run, run, run nodes today to move from um, providers like AWS and onto bare metal? And part of the issue is that we can't actually enforce it. We can't like hold a gun to people's heads and say, we have to do it this way. I don't know how a, a reasonable way for us to do that. And if we were to do that, you know, we would lose a lot in the bond. Like we actually become more centralized because maybe a lot of nodes would just walk away because they lack the technical skill to run bare metal because running bare metal is much more complex than running, you know, an AWS node, uh, running actual physical hardware takes uh, some knowledge and understanding. Running your own firewalls, like all this stuff, is a skill set that you don't really require today if you're running on AWS. But it does if you're running bare metal. And so, like the act of forcing everybody to become bare metal would cause less nodes to exist, which would cause them to be more centralized, and then also, you know, cause the inherent problems that come with that. And so, it's a difficult problem. But I think part of the the way to solve that, the only reasonable way that I can think to solve that, and of course, if you've got any ideas, let me know. I'd be happy to listen to them. Is education, right? Is informing and educating, giving documentation to um, to our node operators. They're like, hey, if you want to run bare metal, but you're not really quite sure how to do it, here's a, a good walkthrough guide to show you how to set up this this kind of thing, this firewall with this ports open like this, blah blah blah. These things to, to to kind of lower the the technical requirements in some sense or form. But if you have any other ideas on how to become more decentralized, Chris, I'm more than happy to listen. And, and, and if, we, if we can get, if we can move forward in this regard, let's fucking move forward in this regard. I mean, we're, we all agree that decentralization is the key here. So we're probably, we want to move for, as far down this road as possible. I'd be happy to help brainstorm, you know, if you want to do that. I know that you guys have been talking about this for like a year or two, right? So I'm sure there's plenty of great ideas that have been tossed around that I don't know about. So... Yeah. But I'd be happy to chime in and, and have a chat for sure. Yeah, in terms of in infrastructure, like bare metal is, is the, probably the most important thing, and that's something that we're you know, um, to, we're we're doing much better at. We had like almost no bare metal. I think we had like one or two bare metal like a year ago, and today I think we have like ten of them or something like this, or another ten or something like this. So we're definitely going in the right direction. It's actually economics that's pushing people towards bare metal because it's just. Uh, much more profitable to run a node on bare metal than it is on AWS, and so just like, especially in the downturn of the of the of the bear market, it's just naturally pushing people towards bears bare metal in the bear market. But um, yeah, if, if this we can we can convince more people to run bare metal, that's probably the the most uh, the, the biggest win we can make. I think it's a totally reasonable way to look at it, um, based on what you're saying before about how. Um, the network would centralize if, if people stopped running the um, AWS nodes, etc. But I, I would actually look at it from the point of view of treat the network today as if all those all those node operators received a notice, you know, and were told to go offline like today. And what would the network look like then? It would be even worse 
probably because none of them would have had time to move to bare metal and they would have all just been forced offline one way or another, either technically forced or out of fear, which is more likely. Um, so I think that's a more prudent way to look at it from an adversarial point of view. And I think that in that case, it makes sense to really prioritize getting, even if it's 10, 20% of them, getting them, giving them the incentive they need to move to bare metal. Yeah. Um, yeah, it reminds me of like when China, I think it was three of the provinces in China, like two years ago, had banned Bitcoin mining and the hash rate of Bitcoin. Bitcoin mining just dropped uh, uh, in half, if you guys remember when this happened a couple of years ago, just because China said no more Bitcoin mining in, in, in these three provinces. And eventually people just kind of like broke down their hardware, moved it to, you know, some, uh, some, some that came to the United States, some stayed to a neighboring country and rebuilt it. And today the hash rate of Bitcoin is actually higher today than it was, you know, two years ago. I think conceptually the same would occur here. It might cause a disruption to the network temporarily, for people to rebuild their infrastructure, but it probably would not stop it. At least their nodes are, are highly incentivized to make it not stop it, other than they lose millions of dollars. Can I ask a question to Zuko? Um, yeah, shoot. Um, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm just like, it's going to be a very like generic question, but I'm quite curious on like, roadmap of, of Zcash and like what is what is next for Zcash what are some things that you guys focused uh, about like as electric coin company I know that recently um, the, the 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 amount of shielded Zcash has reached an all-time high uh, in yeah. the network which, which is pretty good um, mm -hmm. are you noticing any like changing user behavior or like pretty much anything that that interests you um, yeah, I, I can answer briefly. There's a ton of things going on, and um, most of it is being done by organizations outside of the electric coin company. Um, there's a couple other organizations that are working on extending Zcash to support arbitrary tokens, like you know ERC20 style things that can take advantage of all the zcash l1 features including the privacy um there's people working on getting shielded support in hardware wallets like ledger and trezor uh there's quite a few mobile apps under development by different parties there's probably a bunch of things i'm forgetting over here at electric coin company the main thing we're focusing on right now is that the zcash network has you asked about if there's you said that there's an all-time high in the amount of zec shielded true and you asked if there's been differing user behavior yes for almost a year now there's been uh somebody some anonymous person or persons who occasionally show up and generate really large shielded transactions so it could be that these transactions have like thousands of recipients or it could be that they're sending thousands of change back to themselves or whatever nobody knows because it's all shielded um, and that has overloaded the network in various parts, especially the mobile wallets running on smartphones. About three out of five of the shielded mobile wallets are currently broken because they can't handle the load. So at Electric Coin Company, what we're currently prioritizing is just optimizing the mobile wallets and the other parts of the network so it can handle the current load level. Does that answer your question? <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's 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 very interesting. Could you maybe expand a bit on just because I'm ignorant on that on that aspect, um, the the ledger, uh, shielded support. Um, what is the yeah. problem there? And yeah, Trezor and Ledger have both supported. So for context, Zcash has both transparent addresses and shielded addresses. Um, transparent addresses look just like Bitcoin. And they are perfect if you want that balance to be publicly transparent all the time uh, for some reason, like, uh, you know, it's that's somebody else's funds that are being custodied or it's a, a bridge where you want to have a live real time visibility into the status of those funds. So that's transparent addresses. And they're also transparent addresses are perfect for integrations, such as with ThorChain, because they work just like Bitcoin and you don't need privacy at that layer the users get their privacy from having their their funds stored in shielded addresses and then the infrastructure like cex's and dex's and everything else can use transparent addresses so anyway that's that's the architecture of the zcash l1 and trezor and ledger have always for many years have supported storing your zcash in your hardware wallet but only if it's stored in a transparent address in the hardware wallet so that's not ideal that's where you do want shielded addresses to protect the users and so both of them have said the two companies have said that they're doing work to implement shielded addresses in their hardware wallets but it's been a long time and i can't tell how much progress they're making uh, but that's one of those things that is being done by other parts of the zcash ecosystem that's outside of my knowledge or control Wow, it's, it's it's interesting. I didn't know that. So effectively, that means whatever the number, I think it was like 10% or something, 10% of, of Zcash is, is being shielded, like uh, approximately, if I'm not mistaken. That means all those users um, like can't leverage uh, Ledger and Trezor. Absolutely. So, That's right. Yeah. All that shielded Zcash is not on a Ledger or a Trezor. It's in uh, like a full node, you know, running on a on a laptop or desktop or it's um maybe in a paper wallet if you put it into a shielded address and then wrote down your private key or it's on a mobile phone yeah and it's a lot of zcash i i would imagine a, a lot of people have told me that they, what they really want is to store their wealth shielded in a hardware wallet so i would imagine that once one or both of those companies deliver that there will be a lot more zcash moving into the shielded pool Hey, Zuko, um, isn't there a Monero app for Ledger? Why is there not a Zcash shielded app for Ledger? I don't know. I mean, I'll so, say if you're a Ledger it, customer, go open a support request for Ledger uh, at, on asking them for shielded Zcash support. Well, I think it was the Monero app was built by the Monero community, I think. I'm just wondering if there's a technical reason that the Zcash shielded. I, I know there's a bunch more to it, which I don't. A hundred percent. Because again, it's th thank God it's a decentralized ecosystem, so I don't have to understand and influence a bunch of stuff. Um, so I'm not a hundred percent sure I understand what's going on, but there've been a couple of funded projects to implement shielded um, uh, addresses inside Ledger. I know that it's a difficult technical problem because to use a shielded address requires generating a zero knowledge proof. 
And generating a zero knowledge proof is heavyweight in terms of memory usage and hardware wallets have really constrained RAM levels. Um, and I, I did hear just recently, like only a few weeks ago, that the Zcash Community Grants Program, uh, which is another thing that I have nothing to do with, um, gave a grant to a new developer who said he could implement uh, shielded addresses inside, I think, Ledger, one of those wallets, right away. So anyway, there is mo there is forward motion on it. Yeah, we've had our own struggles with, uh, with Ledger and getting... Uh, like just the regular Thorchain transactions supported. Uh, you still need to be on like developer mode to even use uh, to, to get a Thorchain address on your ledger. You can't do it from Ledger Live or anything like that. It's working with it. Even, even though like you know it's a decentralized ecosystem, they still have they still very much have full control of the of the stack of anything that goes into uh, into Ledger itself, and they're very yeah. protective of that. So like. Like, I just, yeah. you know, it, it, may, it might not even be like a like a physical constraint like that. It's just a function of just how their organization works. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, that reminds me that was part of the issue. So um, the Zcash Foundation, which is yet another independent, separate funded entity, um, funded someone to implement the Zcash shielded addresses inside Ledger, but they didn't include support in Ledger Live. Um, I guess Ledger Live is maintained only by the Ledger company. So in order for you know normal users to be able to actually use it, they need it to be integrated with Ledger Live or perhaps integrated with a different wallet that speaks to the Ledger firmware or whatever. Um, and they also require, uh, which I think is really cool and I uh, applaud it, they require a security audit from their own security team from Ledger before they add anything to Ledger Live, if I understand correctly. Yeah, this is this is correct. I, I recall like we we had our own little like uh, Thorchain app for for Ledger, and there was some sort of bug we wanted to fix. It was like it really, I think it was only like a four line change. It was very very small, but it took like I don't know six or nine months to get it approved. Like it was just ludicrously slow. Yeah, everything takes too long. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Everything takes so much longer. Uh, the Monero app uh, is very difficult to use, and I think you even need to. I think you need to run a full node. Like, I think you need to use the the full node wallet to use it. Um, definitely not Ledger Live. Uh, so w when I saw that originally, which it's, I think it's been out for a couple of years, I thought that basically anything could happen um, as long as Ledger is not like officially supporting it. But I guess maybe not, based on what you guys are saying, as far as Zcash goes. I'm unclear on that. Whether, like, to my, what I was interested in was users being able to use it, like, simply without without having to learn and put in a bunch of effort. So I don't know if it's possible to use it using that firmware that that company wrote previously. Um, but I do know that it's not possible to use it in Ledger Live in the normal way. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just how a lot of a lot of our organizations, like uh, they, like organizations that are not like in the upper echelon of uh, of the mind space, are not are not getting that that same treatment from uh, from Ledger. And that's just it. Just seems to be just the, the status quo of things. Like they they have control over their their own. Uh, 
their own software and their own hardware. So, uh, you know, they, they exercise it. And it I, makes sense, too, because there's like they, they want to be able to review everything from a security point of view and, uh, you know, just deliver what they think is the best user experience. But that might not always align with what the, the community uh, in, in general wants and needs. So um, Ledger has publicly said that they really want to add shielded Zcash and uh, on, on Twitter and everything. So I'm going to post the link so that uh, you guys can all fill up their mentions with polite feature requests. How's that? If you want. Yeah, let's, let's do it. it. Let's do it. So inundate Ledger with as much spam as we can to get them to move their asses. Okay, I posted a link. Uh, I think it would have shown up in this Twitter thread. Y'all see Unstoppable it? force meets unmovable object. <laughs> <laughs> cool, guys. Well... Uh, thank you, thank you guys so much for for coming on. Uh, this is a fun space, a long one too. But um, you, you guys are welcome on anytime. We do these on uh, on Fridays at at noon Eastern. So feel free to come hop in whenever. And you know, we just we just chat about Thorchain and whatever's going on in the space. So huge pleasure being able to talk with you guys uh, this week. And I don't think Zuko's ever been on. Chris Chris might have been on once a, a while ago, but. Uh, yeah, that was fun. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Cheers. Keep up the good work on Thorchain. Thanks, Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Yeah. Let's let's Thanks, wrap yeah. and uh, let's definitely do it again. Next week. Cheers. Thanks, guys. And I'm happy to come back if you want to dive deeper into the decentralization stuff that uh, we were supposed to talk about before. Yeah, I'm. I'm totally. Done yeah, I definitely that. want to make that happen. Yeah, maybe next sorry, week if you're around. So well today, but but I'm definitely. Yeah, sorry about that. I'll be on Wi-Fi next time. So you guys, peace.